You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Yes, clap. Clap if you believe. Yes. Clap for the miracle. You don't get the miracle if you don't clap. Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I was not here last week for, I was out of town for a medical thing. So I'm so excited to be back with you and me, Spike Cohen. Um, as always, feel free to comment with any questions or any thoughts that you have. And uh, my guest and I will tell you if you're right or wrong. Uh, we'll definitely tell you if, if you're wrong. If you're right, no, we'll, we'll tell you regardless. Um, feel free to uh, please hit, if uh, you're watching this on YouTube later on, hit subscribe, hit the bell. We need to hit the bell so you can get all of our content. Follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Get our DMs. I'm not, I still, I, every time I say I'm going to find out what that means, I don't know what it means, but do that. Um, this is a Muddied Water Media's production in conjunction with Muddied Waters Media. Thank you again to Muddied Waters for giving me this opportunity. I'd like to thank Kroger for my delicious flavored water that I drink on this and every episode of My Fellow Americans that I'm not in Florida because I don't drink Kroger water in Florida. They have much better water there. Um, my intro and outro music that I use on this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the talented Joe Davi, J-O-D-A-V-I. Find him on Facebook, on SoundCloud. Go to his band camp. 
buy all of his mu- music. I swear to you, you will be so happy if you do that. He's a very talented guy. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him. Guys, I am so honored to have my guest on tonight. He was actually my very first guest, uh, but we don't talk about that episode because I had no idea what I was doing. It was a huge mess. Um, Go check it out on YouTube, by the way. Uh, He is the host of The Lou Sanders Show. He is one of my favorite anarchists on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to my show the beautiful and talented Lou Sander. Lou, thank you so much for joining me again. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be had by Spike Cohen. And that really wasn't first episode. That yeah, that wasn't, wasn't a real first, first episode. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. If, nope. If, it wasn't real. Yeah, if the communists can say that it's not real communism when communism fails, then that definitely was not a first real episode. This is actually my first episode. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's not real communism until the, the party members die with the proletariat. Right, exactly. And it's not a real episode until I have actual equipment so this is the first real episode thank you for joining me on my first episode um and uh like like i said uh you know uh now i have real equipment i know not to end everything i say as though it's the question uh so i've learned a lot and uh so i'm I'm looking forward to showing you just how much i've i've grown in the last three months um so the last time you were on here which we don't talk about uh it was the fourth of july we basically spent two hours savaging the founding fathers the Constitution, the Revolutionary War. I think we had some bad things to say about apple pie. It was a lot of fun. Apple pie without raisins and icing on it is was well, not real apple pie. That is an arguably the most controversial thing you may say today. I've, I've with raisins and 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 what was the other thing? Frosting. Icing. No, no, no. It's icing. Yeah, it's icing, not frosting. On apple pie. Yes. Okay. It, it's made up of a powdered sugar with hot water and just a pinch of salt. And raisins. Yes. The raisins actually make it a Dutch apple pie. Wow. Okay. Well, then, like I said, this may be the, the most contentious thing we talk about. I, I would eat that. <laughs> I, think I, I, think I, I think I would eat that. But, um... I've never heard of that. Well, moving on. Really? Um, <laughs> I, you're, you're, you're a Southerner. You're a Southerner. I, I am a Southerner. Raisins, I've never... are na- ra- raisins are nature's candy. No, I like raisins. I've just never heard of it on on apple pie. In apple you, pie. You bake, yeah, yeah, you bake in the raisins pie. in with a pie. I will have to. I will try that. Thanksgiving's coming up. The perfect opportunity to try this. I will put that in the show notes. Um, so, by the way, congratulations on uh, surviving the social media purge of late 2018. It's not over yet. No. God. There's always time. Yeah. So, as you know, and as for those in my lovely viewing audience who don't know, uh, what yesterday or the day before, a couple of days ago, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and all the other major social media platforms did sort of a coordinated purge uh, from from their venues of hundreds of uh, pages and channels like the Free Thought Project, Cop Block, uh, that's C O P, Cop Block, uh, Punk Rock Libertarians, Police the Police, and 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 many others, a, t- a ton of pages that I follow. Um, and they said that this was done because of spamming. I don't believe they actually presented any evidence of spamming. Um, I know there are some people saying, well, some some pages did make it and they didn't, but. They seem to hit all the biggest ones. 
Um, Facebook actually specifically mentioned the upcoming midterm elections as part of the reason uh, for, for doing it now. So it's, it's hard to think that, oh, well, it's just because they were spamming. Um, what, what, what do you think of that? I, I don't tend to have the conspiratorial thoughts out there. I, I do find it a little bit interesting, concerning. I, I, I don't really know. It's from what I understand, the pages that have been taken down, taken down. And I don't know all of them right. have been more anti-establishment, libertarian, anarchist types. Right. And I, I don't think that too many cat meme pages were taken down. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, oh, it's spamming. And, and, like, there's a ton of spam on Facebook. Okay. So I, I have absolutely no inside information as to why these things are going the way that they are. Right. Or, you know, if, if there's some master plan or if Zuckerberg is sitting in his chair petting the kitty cat as, as he's just, you know, like doing Zuckerberg-y type stuff. Right, right, right. I, 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 don't, I don't know that any of this is going on. But what I will tell you is that... Facebook, they're very, how could I put it? Um, they're very supportive of the system. I, you remember when the, the the deadline to register to vote was going on and they kept spamming everybody's news feed with these posts about, have you registered to vote yet? It's your oh, they're, civic they're, duty. They're, yeah. they're doing it right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And so I think that the horizontal enforcement that you get out of Facebook and similar type organizations, the "Hey, it's our democracy" type stuff. Right. I right. think that I think that has a tendency to try to stifle out conflicting ideology. And of the pages that were taken down that I know of for a fact, they're 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 very anti-establishment. And and to go a little bit further, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. I remember reading a book a few years back, and it was about a guy who was a lobbyist and he was a lobbyist back in probably the early seventies, how he wound up a lobbyist. lobbyist I can't really remember. It's kind of, he, he just kind of fell into it. He was kind of like a fixer type okay, and wound up being a lobbyist. But anyway, he was talking about how the graft was going on and, and how when, when somebody got busted for doing something, it, it, it wasn't the house being cleaned up. It was more selective enforcement and sacrificial. Right, right, lands. Right. Of course, of course. And I remember one of the quotes in there is talking about Gerald Ford and they're talking and Gerald was speaker of the house and they're talking to him about all this stuff. And, and his, his comment on it was the system must be preserved at all costs. So they were, they were willing to sacrifice a few and let many go. And in particularly we saw this after, well, we didn't see it because we were just little kids and didn't know what the heck was going on. But, people a little bit older than us saw that after after Nixon getting jammed up there was really a lot of there's lost faith in the institution of government so it it was it was shaken to the very foundations and what you get out of like the politically minded you know you you take your partisan republicans and everybody else you know the ones that go on fox news and msnbc and they're just screaming and hollering at each other it's pro wrestling they fight like crazy when the cameras are on then they then they go out to dinner with each other and 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 bouncer bouncy chairs kids on their laps and all that sort of stuff It's it's not a pizza gate reference not that it's an impossibility but anyway so as far as they we know, that's not what's happening, right? Right. So they don't care that people are arguing 
and fighting and, and ending lifelong friendships and splitting up families over red versus blue, Coke versus no, Pepsi, they, whatever they, you want to call it. They thrive on it, yeah. They don't care. They yeah. don't care that people are arguing about those things and, and making death threats and everything else. What they do not absolutely what they absolutely do not want is an alternative option. So long as you're arguing about which one of them is going to rule you versus whether you should be ruled in the first place, they're fine. When you start questioning if you should be ruled at all. Yeah. That, yep. that is when, because you're going outside of the Overton window, the uh, three by five card of allowable opinion, whatever you want to call it. Right. What, when, when, once you get out, get outside of that, that's when they start getting scared because the 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 people in power, whether the politicians or if you buy into the notion that their patrons are are the real power behind it, because these politicians they need financing, they need support, they need the uh, what is it? Uh, uh, in in, uh, in Russian, it's called blot. Uh, it's it's not necessarily bribes, but it's favors. The, the, right. They they need the help that they get from the connected and the wealthy, the the power elite types. Right, right. And and so when you have these pages that are talking specifically about that and not falling into this you know left right uh, Republican Democrat paradigm, that really upsets the apple cart, and and that's sort of verboten and has to go. Absolutely, God's yeah. verboten. I don't know German. I just know verboten. So. Oh, to- totally prohibited. <laughs> right. So, um, so this is a, a tough subject um, to talk to people about because, you know, my, my whole thing and, and, and you know, there, obviously, so censorship obviously is when government stops you from doing something, you know, silences you. If a, if a private, and this is, I'm talking in, in very general terms, when a private venue uh, it, you know, doesn't allow you to use their platform, uh, whether it's me, you know, if you come into my house and start saying, you know, things that I don't agree with and I say, okay, I'm sorry, you need to leave my house or we're on the phone and you say things I don't agree with and I go, okay, I don't, I don't want to hear that. And I hang up, I'm not censoring you. I'm simply saying, I don't want to associate with you. And in the same token, even a large venue, even if it's, you know, if it's a private venue, it's not government run and it's, and it's, you know, it's it's run by a private company. They have the right to say, okay, we for whatever reason they don't want to, uh, uh, you know, associate with with whomever, um, for whatever reasons. Where it gets murky is that, for example, with Facebook, um, the murky waters are, of freedom. The murky waters of freedom, as always, <laughs> where it gets where it gets muddied, if you will, uh, is that. For example, Facebook is partnered with the it's a group called the Atlantic Council that helps them to determine yes. what is good and, and bad content. The Atlantic Council is essentially a NATO lobby organization. If you look at their board, I was looking at it while we were talking just now, uh, while I was listening to you, their board of directors is all over the place. They have, you know, CEOs of major companies, uh, current and former politicians and lobbyists. Uh, they have an international advisory board that has prime prime ministers and former prime ministers on it. So it is not necessarily in and of itself a government organization, but it exists for lobbying to government. And it is in the ear of Facebook and, and others, I'm sure, telling them who is and is not allowed. It, it, it's a probably, I guess you could call it a quasi-governmental organization or, right. or it's like the NGOs. Now, you, you have a lot of NGOs providing aid in South Africa, and, and they're non-government or, organizations, right. although a lot, of, a lot of them are. 
yeah. uh, their other government agencies. But right. anywho, right. You, you, yeah, you brought up a very interesting point. And, and also, I believe that the Atlantic Council gets some of its funding from the U.S. government to include the, the U.S. military. Oh, I would assume. I mean, they're described as a NATO lobby group. So I'm sure there's right. Pentagon and State Department money in there. there. There's no way that they're operating without, you know, getting that, get, getting, they're getting, they're getting tax money at some yeah. point. I, That's happening. And I want, to, I want to do a plug for my source for this information. Absolutely. Uh, Ford Fisher, who's from News to Share, yeah, he yeah. had he had put up a couple posts on that. Oh, he did really good reporting from the Charlottesville nonsense a couple of years ago. I think it was. I got he's a chance to talk amazing. to him. Amazing, yeah. From that, I got from the ch- resist protests. He's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I got a chance to talk to him after Charlottesville, but unfortunately, I, I couldn't put out the the audio on it. Was it was audio problems to say the oh, least. Oh no, Anyhow. that sucks. But but anyway, uh, so yeah, he had reported on that, and he he'd done a little research, and he says, yeah, they made it real easy because I found the the news release from Facebook, and he posted that saying that they had that Facebook was partnered up with the uh, Atlantic Council or whatever right, right. whatever it is, and then he, he showed links to the Atlantic Council website right. of you know who the who the partners are and everything else. So it's it's. You you get into the question of is Facebook really a private company or are they also a quasi governmental organization? They're definitely threading the line, and 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 still here's my my thing with this. So the 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 part of the reason that we have that question is because for many, I don't, I don't think for us, but for many, the next question becomes: Well, if they're not a private organization, should we not then be having government essentially force them to allow everyone? in or or you know to to create some kind of uh uh you know standard for who can or can't be allowed and here's my thing let's say that facebook is a quasi-governmental organization let's say that they let's say they're a government organization and let's say that we're asserting which we sort of are that government is at least partially responsible for them silencing certain voices what compelling reason do we have to think that getting government more involved is the answer to you know having a, a greater flow of opinion. It, to me, it seems like, okay, let's say they pass the Social Media Fairness Act, and what happens now is, uh, and I scare myself because that's probably what it's going to be called, um, now they're, you've got you know government telling them what they're going to do. I can guarantee you that you know the art, one of the commenters uh, mentioned another group, uh, Tom uh, Trial, uh, in the comments said the um, the the art of not being governed. That was the other one that that was unpublished. Um, I can imagine that if government gets involved, those groups aren't coming back anyway. And now Facebook will be able to say, okay, but in exchange for this, we're now a utility, and so we get you know we're going to entrench our position as dominant social media. Whereas to me, it seems like the better answer would be to deregulate these things so that there's more you know, viable options and lower barriers to entry for competitors to come in so that we don't have to rely on Facebook. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a lot of stuff that you covered. And <laughs> I, don't believe, I don't believe that the art of not being covered has been taken down. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, it's still up, but okay. uh, a couple of nights ago, the admins got the old session expired message and uh, the message saying that the page was unpublished. Right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's still up, but they can't do anything with yeah. it. Yeah. But okay. this is this is the second art of not being governed. It was previously 
uh, take there, there's a previous version of it that was taken down uh, a year or so ago. Oh, okay, I, maybe, I, I didn't maybe know two that. years ago. Okay, so and and that was that was due to multiple complaints, like reporting or yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and we're going to kind of get into that a little bit later on. Okay, but yeah okay. that that was that was about uh, getting reported frequently, but. What you uh, what you did mention in going into the whole discussion of the, the the free speech issue, the censorship issue, and then you know what is Facebook? Is it is it a private company or whatever? I've right. I've heard a lot of people talking about how their free speech or I, I really hate when somebody says my First Amendment was was violated. Was violated? Yeah. Yeah. You have amendments? No, you don't. You have rights, you idiot. Right. Sorry, I, I, th- that's just one of those little status idiosyncrasy my first amendment right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, I, I remember i was talking to this i don't know if he's a sovereign citizen type but he was certainly a status libertarian at pork fest a couple of years ago and and uh indian guy um casino not tech support and he was talking about how the cows liz, were messing liz, liz warren indian you mean no real one <laughs> he, no he, he wasn't that white and he had a mohawk he had a really cool motorcycle too but anyway he was he was telling me about how the cops were messing with him, and, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, they violated three of my amendments." I'm like, "What are you talking about? You don't have amendments. Right. You're a human being, not, right? Not a, not a parchment, right?" But anyway, so the the first amendment says that that Congress shall make no law reg- regarding the establishment of religion, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. or freedom of speech. Right. So if Congress is, so if Congress is making a law restricting your speech, then it's not covered by the first amendment. Now the other thing is with free speech, you always have free speech, but you do not always have a free audience or a free platform. Right. That that right. that's the important thing to discover or to to realize. And a lot of these folks do not understand that there's a difference. They they think that their their right to to speak and be heard is universal, and that if they want to talk about what whatever stupid thing that they want to talk about, everybody has to sit there and listen to them. Right. And they, I think most of them understand that the people don't have to agree, but they think that people have to listen. They have to stand there and listen, right? Exactly. They can't say yeah. get out. Like if if you go into a mini, if you go into a mall and just start, you know, screaming about whatever, and they say, oh, "Sir, you you have to leave." They're like, "My free speech." No, you you it's private property, and you don't actually have to. They don't have to let right. you in. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have a right to free speech, but you don't have a right to a platform or a audience. And, and let, let me let me uh, read directly from the Constitution regarding free speech and religion. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Citizens are guaranteed freedom of speech of the press, of assembly, demonstration, and association. The state shall guarantee conditions for the free activity of democratic political parties and social organizations. The next part. Citizens have freedom of religious beliefs. This right is granted by approving the construction of religious buildings and the holding of religious ceremonies. No one may use religion as a pretext for drawing in foreign forces or for harming the state and social order. Right. That's Chapter 5, Articles 67 and 68 of the North Korean Constitution. Just thought I would drop that out there. I like that. Yeah. So, as a matter of fact, China, the the 
the Chinese constitution recognizes free speech in Article 35 of theirs. The old Soviet and old East German constitutions recognize free speech also. Turns out their parchments aren't magic either. Mm, probably not. But anyway, so I just thought I would share that with you. Yeah, no, thank you for doing you know, that. About, about your constitutional rights. Right. So chapter chapter My five amendments. of yeah. Chapter five of of the North Korean Constitution is the rights and duties of citizens, where their rights are clearly enumerated. And of course, because it's in the Constitution, they're not violated. Right. Right, exactly. So now what are your thoughts on this as far as at, at what point does Facebook cease to be a private entity and become an extension of government? See, and that's the, obviously it's some kind of a spectrum, right? Like you're, you're a fully private company is one that doesn't it, 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 to, to say where no one disputes that you're a private company. It means you're not even doing business with the, with the government. You're not contracting essentially a private company and uh but the you know as the more you get into it you're contracting with with you know government to do things you're you know the majority of your work is with government or you have people that are lobbying in government you know in a status society a big company like facebook is not going to be allowed to be that big and that dominant without having government tentacles in it and having their tentacles in government through, you know, lobbying. I mean, to the point where you literally had uh, Mark Zuckerberg earlier this year, Mark Zuckerberg was in front of Congress uh, talking about, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, that they were following their own privacy policy on, on you know, releasing data to advertisers and, and things like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a blurry thing. I still say that Facebook, from what we know, and, and Tom Trial in the comments mentioned that, you know, sometimes you don't know everything because there's stuff that's being secretly told that we don't that we don't know. And that's the the um, you know, that that's the problem. Based on what we know. I still say Facebook's a private company, regardless uh, of whether they're a private company or not. The people that are saying they're censoring us because, you know, we think that they're a private company, therefore they're censoring us. And uh, and, you know, they need to stop. It's one thing to advocate for them to stop. But when you advocate for, you know, the, the state to get involved in doing it, if you're saying the government was uh, uh, censoring you to begin with, what makes you think that having more government involvement is going to end with you not being censored? Is That's my position on it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It is. When you look at the high price of health care these days and healthcare care is very expensive yeah, and you if it. If you have any sort of economic education, you've paid any attention, you've seen all the government intervention in the healthcare industry and markets over the past several decades, and you're like, okay, well, how do you get this way? And you can look at all these different government interventions to see where the prices have escalated after these different interventions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. That, that's the reason to say, no, I, you've already helped the living daylights out of us already. No, can't do any more of that. Right, exactly. Uh, but there's people out there that believe that there's a, a, a completely free market. Government has been completely laissez-faire. They haven't been involved in anything. This Medicare, Medicaid, that's you know that that doesn't even exist. You know, forget about that. Forget about the requirements to uh, treat people at emergency rooms and then just stick the cost on other people. Right. So right. it's I mean, it, the 
it, they're of the mind that for, that the free market was just going along plundering and pillaging everybody and for no reason whatsoever you know it's or because of that the government had to get involved and in, in clean up the mess of the free market right well well and while simultaneously ignoring that it got worse when they got involved and continues to get worse mm-hmm. when they get involved and therefore the answer is to get and that's the thing to me these are people that otherwise because i mean a lot of the people saying this are libertarians these are people that usually would say you know healthcare is worse now they're being silenced on a very large uh you know media platform and pretty much on all the major media platforms they're saying something has to be done well why wouldn't the something be to create an alternative if, if it's really true that we're not going to be allowed to say these things on social media why would the answer not immediately be to go to someone else it, especially if we're we're acknowledging right off the bat we're not saying it's because of the free market that this is happening we're saying this is government doing this government is influencing it congress is in you know facebook's ear saying you know this is going to upset things for the midterms we need people to you know participate in this ridiculous system we know all about that. So why would our answer be, oh, no, you know, government needs to get in and tell them to let us talk? Because those people, and if they're like the political libertarians or the men status, they still have faith in the state. And there's, right. a, there, there, there's a lot of anarchists out there, volunteers, whatever you want to call them. They still have a faith in the state for certain things because it's it's their hot button, hot button, hot button item right it's the it's their crazy cat spot so like on a cat if you go and scratch it behind its ears it will start kicking its leg yeah that, dogs no, that's, do that that's, too, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's right. a crazy cat spot and for people that particularly if they're politically minded they think hey we're gonna pass a law we you know me and the mouse in my pocket right. are going to pass this law and all of a sudden, because politicians scribble some words down on paper, these things are going to happen. There's going to be changes, and and people are going to behave. You know, never mind that healthcare didn't become more affordable when the Affordable Care Act was passed; it got more right. expensive. Never mind that when alcohol and drugs were prohibited, the people kept using drugs and alcohol. And as a matter of fact, after a couple of years into prohibition, alcohol use was higher than it was before prohibition. Yeah, no, exactly. Alcohol was at its worst. Um, I mean, here and, and then, okay, great. Then there's the, the fact that they do things to make problems worse. For example, we're in a, a an opioid and heroin ep- epidemic. And a big part of the reason for that is because heroin prices compared to other drug prices and just in general are at all time lows. The reason they're at all time lows is because access to the U.S. market is at all time highs and supply is at all time highs. The reason Mm -hmm. that it's at all time highs is because you have the U.S. military protecting poppy fields, which is where the majority of opium production happens in Afghanistan uh, to to fight off the Taliban. And then you have, uh, you know, uh, U.S. sponsored, U.S. government sponsored drug cartels and distributors bringing them into the U.S. And. So they have no problem with that because they get a piece of it for, you know, clandestine, you know, operations or whatever. Uh, and, and to fight against the the cartels that are sponsored by other governments. But then when they get here and American citizens are selling, you know, a dime bag of or whatever they call it, of, of heroin to, a, you know, a heroin addict. That person gets demonized, even though the government is the 
big part of why it got here in such high supply anyway. And that's another perfect example. The government created this problem. We need the government to do something about it. Well, maybe just stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. I, I remember, what was it, net neutrality that they were talking yes, about? Yes, net there neutrality. Were, and, yeah. and there were, there were a lot of uh, men status and political libertarians and anarchists that were endorsing that one, too. So I just looked at the history of government intervention, and I started deeming it first net neutralization and then the Affordable Internet Act. Affordable Internet. ObamaNet. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and the same thing goes with... Uh, with the uh, Bordertarians and the Republicans, the, exactly. the Republicans will will say, "Well, you can't have a wealth, you can't have open borders without a, with a welfare state." And yeah, that's a really good red meat quote, and I'm I'm sure in their circles it really goes quite a long ways. But in reality, it's it's really a useless, nonsensical slogan, because what are they calling for? Are are they calling for? Securing the borders, meaning putting troops down there or other government employees that, that they're going to have to pay pensions for. Now, what's going to happen? I mean, how's the border going to get secured? The, the government can't even keep guns and weapons or, and, and drugs out of their own prisons. And there's nothing more governmenty than a than a prison, except for maybe mass graves. Except for what? Mass graves. That, that that's mass, the peak government there, yeah. yeah. Peak government right there. Yeah, so anyway. Right. Well, I think that, you had actually said, I think you would, it was you that posted that said, okay, great. Let's say that we can't have, uh, un, you know, unlimited, um, we can't have, you know, open immigration without ending the welfare state. And you said, well, okay, so then why doesn't the state end welfare for immigrants? And if, they, if they're not able to do that, what makes you think, and I'm paraphrasing, what makes you think that this organization that is so... Uh, you know, hapless that they can't stop non-citizens from getting access to welfare, that they're somehow going to turn a massive landmass into a giant fortress that no one can get into or out of without them knowing. What makes you think they're going to be able to do that? Or want yeah, to do what, that? What I really said was, how are they going to keep themselves, or if they can't keep themselves from giving money to people that are ineligible to receive it, how are they going to keep people that are ineligible from coming in here and working? Exactly. Yep. And that, and the the promises that the savings from the welfare reductions will go to pay for the wall, just like the savings from Obamacare was going to go to pay for the the, the care. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the reductions in in. Medic, Medicaid and other Bending the cost curve, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I know obviously when when some Republican, some Trumpanzi starts talking about build the wall, build the wall, you know, obviously, it's, okay, I'm not a supporter of your Affordable Border Control Act because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be the Affordable Border Control Act. It's going to be another lie, and when it comes up costing more than it was supposed to, they're going to defend it like the Democrats defended Obamacare. And then they're going to deny that, or then the Democrats are going to get on the bandwagon and, and say, ha, 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 you guys bollocks this whole thing up. It was supposed to be cheap, but it costs more. So we right. got the welfare state, uh, you bunch of big spending liberals. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, they go back and forth uh, when, when one side is in charge, and I use side loosely because I think they're all on the same side, but when one of the partisan parties is in charge, the other side becomes the deficit hawks and the you're overspending and, you know, we shouldn't be at war and, you know, all of these things. 
and then when the other party gets in charge, they switch places. Now this side is the resistance against you know deficit spending and and you know wasteful spending and 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 everything else. And the and you know the 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 side that's in charge is you know demanding respect for the institution of the of the government. And and you know it, it's it's ridiculous to me. Um, so I think we're on the same page with uh, with social media. In the comments, uh, Zebulun uh, Ballas, I hope I didn't just butcher your name there, uh, said uh, Facebook is a government entity just based on precedence. There's zero way that it isn't a that it isn't a data collection tool of the state. Uh, there's at least a state element of the core people at the top level complying with dark government. Absolutely, I, I don't I don't dispute that at all. Um, I think that um, I think that uh, that you know. We, like I said, a, 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 whether it's Walmart, Amazon, uh, Facebook, it's Google, um, Apple, any of these massive companies that in my mind wouldn't be sustainable in, a, in an actual free market, the only way that they get that big, first of all, the only way that they're even allowed to get that big, and second of all, the way that they're able to maintain that dominance and stop competitors from you know entering that 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 sector and, and competing with them or any more competitors than they already have is by getting as chummy with government as possible. Um, it, you know it's it's sort of what they tell us happens when we vote, except it actually does happen when you bribe them and have lobbyists and everything else. Is you you get that entrenched power and and what comes with it is that essentially the government ends up controlling it. Um, where I diverge from with other people who, who come to that conclusion is that like we were just talking about that, that government getting more involved is going to somehow help anything. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's, if, if you look at the, the history of the antitrust period, I think this really kicked off under Teddy Roosevelt. He made all these promises of things that were going to happen, that they're going to, that they were going to break the cartelization of industry. And surprisingly enough, uh, industry was, was begging for these regulations saying, yeah, yeah, we need to be exactly. controlled so that we don't do anything wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And it's like, don't throw me in the briar patch. Yeah. But anyway, towards the end of it, you had industry was even more cartelized than before where they started. And you had these smaller firms getting eliminated and these larger firms were the ones that were left standing. And because I, they I remember, can take it. They can, they can, they can it, it'll it'll hurt their bottom line to some extent because they can but they can still absorb it and the smaller can, companies can't and then they come out stronger because they lost all, their competition's gone yeah their bodies can absorb the the poison a lot better than the smaller bodies exactly, exactly. That, that have less of immunity right. so it, it was really interesting because when, when i first got into libertarianism it was strictly through economics and later on it was through the morality of it. Right. I remember listening to a Tom Woods lecture, and he was talking about the different things to break up the so-called monopolies and everything else. And, and quite frankly, there's, there's absolutely no way that there could be a natural monopoly. Because think about this. What would it take to dominate an industry to such an extent that you had no effective competition out there? Even if you combine the, the competition of uh, – even if you combine all these small firms as – like one competition against you, you know, right. like buying all their powers. How would you get that way? Because you got to figure in order to get customers to go to you, you have to satisfy their wants. And considering right. that many people are very subjective in the things that they want, it, it's rather arbitrary. Some people want the, the best price. Some people want the best quality. Some people want the best value, which is price and quality put together. Some people want 
a company that is socially conscious. Some people want a company that does all these different things. And there's all these arbitrary subjective values out there. And for a company to be able to crush the competition, it would have to satisfy every last one of these values. It it would have to at least satisfy. It would have to at least satisfy enough customers to where they chose to go with that company versus all the other options out there. Right. So the only way the only way to be that good is to I, I hate to sound like Yogi Berra, but the only way to be that good is you have to be really good at it. You would have to be very skilled. You would have to be very customer oriented. You would have to. Be you would have to yeah. Yeah. Yes. You would. You would have to be absolutely positively awesome sauce, and and that's an impossibility right. because when you do have the competition out there, there's going to be other people that think it think up ideas hey what can we do to steal business away from them right and one of the things that i heard about was one one of the phrases he used was nobody hates free market capitalism more than free market capitalists because when you have a when you have the small scrappy company that's just entering the market and they're they're at the bottom but they're going to the top they love the competition they love the the fight the hunt the challenge the gladiatorial market games exactly go on with exactly yeah and then and then when they get to the top they want to stay there and they <laughs> don't want to you know, they don't want to go out and defend their title they're, they're the boxer that becomes the the world heavyweight cha- heavyweight champion right. and then fights like once every two or three years right 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 yeah yeah against some bum right just just to keep their belt exactly yeah no i and that's that's why I don't see any anything good, um, anything good coming from that. So, so let me go back though. If a company was good enough, if they were able to satisfy the the needs of that many customers, that they could draw that much business in there, that is not a company that should be broken up. That is a company that should be modeled, studied, replicated, and everything else. Exactly. Because I mean, why why would you crush success? Because I mean, that is the picture of success. Yeah. If you're keeping even say 95% of your of of your potential base so happy that it's almost impossible to have a, anyone be your competitor, that means you're essentially perfect or as close to perfect as humanly possible, which like you said, why would that be a bad thing? And the very second you start to fall off, here comes your competition. That's what a free market is. So if we really reached a point where there were these, you know, multiple monopolies and, and a true monopoly usually doesn't just mean that you have market dominance. It means that you have elements in place to prevent competition. So let's not say monopolies because we're talking about just totally dominant, you know, a company that just no, they don't have any effective competition because they're just yep. doing such a good job. They're protected. Great. Yeah, they're exactly. A monopoly is actually protected. And it's, that's, you can't really have a true monopoly without the state mm-hmm. and the state in and of itself is a monopoly. But, um, you know, so, so you can't, in my mind, in a free market, Facebook is only going to be dominant for as long as it's providing the best value to, for the vast majority of people. Uh, the very second it starts to fall off, or even if yeah, they just exclude... The, the other thing... Go ahead. Uh, the other thing that I want to touch on, and this comes from F.A. Hayek, uh, who was a student of Ludwig von Mises, and he talked about the thing with free market capitalism and the fact that in the market, you have to satisfy your customers' needs and all the stuff that I already said and repeated several times. Right. And because of that, capitalism renders greed completely harmless. Yep. So if I'm greedy and I want to get all, if 
if I want to get the most money possible, the only way that I can do that in the truly free capitalistic market is I have to satisfy my customers' needs. So if I get rewarded by putting out great products with wealth, then, you know, how, how am I a villain? How am I a bad guy? And, and the, 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 the anti-commerce types, they have such a tendency to hate against all this stuff. You know, they, they, they have a hatred of success, but it's only for business people. It's for like Walmart and, and Walmart really does a lot of things. Well, Oh, of course. They're they're not surviving strictly because government is is protecting them. They they do things well. They they have an excellent distribution system. It's very efficient. You know, it's their their pricing is good because they negotiate good prices. Right, right. They so, revolutionized uh, uh, retail. I mean, the, the the world of retail has been Walmartized because of of the Sam Walton model and what they've consistently done to change it. So no, they're not. They're not there solely because of government intervention, and neither is Amazon, who is who is you know changing the the world of e-commerce. The idea that you can just you know all this stuff that you're looking at here is you know stuff I got. It was on sale. It was here within two business days, and you know and I there were you know hundreds of reviews and videos on it and everything else. So you know so they get there because of that. But there is an element of once they're there, like you said, you're the heavyweight champ. Yeah, you're still tuned up. You're still good to fight, but you're not as hungry as you used to be. At this point, you're just trying to keep the belt, and that's what happens with these with these major companies. And with the state being being all the all the, the more ready to to do it in exchange for their pound of flesh, um, that allows them to start to fall off on the customer service end and and providing quality to the market, and more and more towards well, we're just entrenched because you know we we have the right political people that that you know keep us in keep you know keep barriers to entry to make it harder for our competition and make it easier for us uh, uh net neutrality we were talking about earlier comcast net neutralization net neutralization uh obama net uh the affordable internet act the affordable internet act all of the major tech and 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 uh it or not it um all of them the major networks all of the major service providers all of them were on board and yet people would still look at me with a straight face and say, oh, this is to keep them under control. And I said, well, why are they so in favor of it? Why are they demanding that it you know, stay in place? And why is it that it's the smaller tech firms that are saying this is destroying our industry? But, you know, that is what it is. That's a question that, in my opinion, answers itself. Exactly, exactly. So as we – I'm sorry, did you, did you have more you wanted to say about that? I have – like I said, economics was my introduction to libertarianism. I wasn't looking to become a libertarian or an anarchist, voluntarist, whatever you want to call me. Uh, I had no intention of that. To kind of like tell my story a little bit, I was, after the 2008 collapse, I was like most people out there that had zero economic education right. or zero quality economic education, I was scratching my head saying well holy crap apparently this free market capitalism that we've had all this time has failed, failed the, government, the government needs to step in and start running this stuff right and as i start so i decided i wanted to learn why things work the way that they do right you know, so that i could vote harder later on and and, and get the right people in office to vote your way to the, freedom everyone yeah vote your way to freedom. So, I could, so i could send so we could centrally plan the economy and, and avoid all this stuff you know 
essentially plan out the boom and bust of the business cycle and everything else. And as I, as I was learning about all these different interventions and with, with Tom Woods, he's, he's primarily a historian, but he has a lot of economic knowledge and he looks at the historical, um, the historical economics of the different times. Right. And one, one of the things, and when I first heard of him, I was, I was watching Glenn Beck, like all good aspiring libertarians do. Uh, now, actually, I'm a recovering neocon, uh, but unlike yeah, I, I most am too. Neocons, I am too. Yeah. Unlike unlike most neocons, I've actually been in the military. But anyway, so I'm watching Glenn Beck and Tom Woods is on there, and he starts talking about the Forgotten Depression of 1920 and 21. Yes, and with with, and, with the Harding, right? Yeah, it was. It started out under Wilson, I believe, but because Wilson was incapacitated by a stroke and his wife was basically running the country in his place, there there was no intervention intervention going on. Right. Uh, and then uh, Harding came in, and Mister Laissez Faire himself, Herbert Hoover, said, "Well, we have to we have to have stimulus. We have to have works public works programs and jobs right. programs, all sort of stuff." And they're like, uh, "LOL, TLDR, you know." We're not messing with that stuff, and and they did nothing really. Right. There was there was very little activity on the part of the Fed. I nothing significant as far as monetary policies to change things, and this thing was done in like eighteen to twenty four months. Yep. Now, in comparison, you have the the Great Depression, which really, depending upon on how you want to set your definitions really went from 1929 to 1945. Yeah. You had you had a you had a crappy economy in there whether the entire time meets the official definition of a uh of a depression. No, it it, it probably doesn't because there there were probably some quarters that didn't meet the you know written out definition of it, but the economy sucked right. for pretty much the entire time. And there there was a belief that after the Great Depression, like 1946, that there was going to be a whole new depression after that because you weren't going to have the war going on anymore. You didn't have the, the public works projects of the New Deal. And people argue over which one ended the Great Depression, whether it was the New Deal or the the war itself. And, and quite frankly, it's a BS argument because I, either way, if one would have ended the Great Depression, the other one would have too. Because right. it was this, it was the same damn thing. It was the the government taking complete control of the economy, nationalizing resources, uh, putting people into the military, which would be the equivalent of the public works programs. And people talk about what a great economy that there was. No, there wasn't a great economy. Money was diverted out of the market and useful things to stuff that would never get used by the general public. Right. I mean, World, World War II, from 1943 to 1945, Ford Motor Company didn't make any vehicles for civilian use. Right, right. So darn near everything that was produced during World War II was was blown up yeah it was blown up it was used it was used overseas and, and you know whatever you want to argue about gdp numbers or whatever people were having their metal taken from them to to you know i've seen the posters my dad uh, was a, a, a kid during that time but I've, I've seen the posters of you know give up anything you have that has iron how can you argue that that was good a good economy for the average american during that time when people were literally like having their metal taken off of their, you know, reeling of their front steps or whatever yeah. to, to make, uh, you know, ammunition or I mean, it's like the, the 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 argument there. I'm like, people, it sucked during the war. Like, first of all, you're 
didn't you didn't even know if your loved ones were alive or not overseas the 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 boom that happened after the the world war ii largely happened because people breathed a sigh of relief they were actually allowed a certain level of something resembling freedom and there was a massive ramping down of government spending that's what you know made the economy blossom afterwards yeah well let's take it a little bit further not only were they having their medical metal confiscated it was illegal to manufacture many basic consumer goods you couldn't buy new appliances you couldn't buy things that had metal in it right. you, uh, you couldn't get appliances repaired i mean there there were advertisements in the newspaper saying buy this new refrigerator before it's illegal you had you had rationing of basic food items you had rationing of gasoline you had rationing of sugar basic basic food staples the things that people need to survive right. and and they talk about the unemployment was was fixed by mobilizing the troops during world war ii well you know what they did they took the young and healthy men out of the factories and replaced them with their wives with children their wives. and grandparents right right so, yeah so, full employment right. yeah taking taking people out of the workforce and replacing them with weaker people. And I'm, I'm sorry, there's probably going to be some people out there. They're like, Oh, that's mean. That's, that's politically incorrect to say that stuff, but it's true. Taking yeah. those young and healthy people out of the workforce, replacing them with their wives, children, and, and parents rationing of goods, just destroying everything. You, you, you don't have the stuff. It's illegal to produce things for the consumer market and shortages, rationing, all this crap. That's not, that's not economic success. That's bleeping socialism. Right. Yeah, it is. It's it's what it's what we see. It's a to some extent what we see in places like you know North Korea where they're constantly in crisis mode. It's just it was happening over here, and it you know it was normalized by propaganda. So no, I I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Now you of course, as we know, you are a prominent advocate for the Libertarian Party. You know <laughs> uh, uh, no, since uh, I've had nope. Yeah. No, so, so, no, so, no, no. I am. So, I, I, I usually don't swear on these things, but I am the breakaway Republic of fuck off a stand <laughs> and my capital city is Constantinople. Yeah. Yeah. So since I've had you on last time, I've had a few guests who work for the Libertarian Party um, and they have made some, you know, their thing and some of them are, you know, anarchists and anarcho-capitalists and, and whatever else. And, and they, uh, you know, their whole thing is we want to end the state. And the state's never going to end itself. Um, you know, I'm happy to see, if for no other reason, I'm happy to see that they're out there talking about, you know, libertarian thought. And they're talking to people about Rothbard and they're talking to people about Hayek and they're talking to people about von Mises and, and whatever else. So, you know, I don't think anything they're doing is particularly harmful. I don't think I don't necessarily know if it's helpful either. Um, here's one thing that they have said to me, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. When I go back and forth with them about this, hang one on, thing... hang, hang, hang on. Before you go in there, okay. uh, what if if they're going to have a campaign to take down the state, you know, through like whatever political process? What was the campaign and process that was used to take down MySpace? How about BlackBerry? How about uh, the DeLorean, or not the DeLorean? Uh, that that was actually that was the government took the DeLorean. Yeah. Uh, the Edsel, <laughs> the Edsel, right. Okay, go ahead. Okay, that's a good point. So one thing they brought up, and I don't really have a good answer. Uh, actually, I do have an answer, but it's not it's not the it's not an answer you'd like. Um, so one thing they bring up is is and it's always cut and dry with this, but they'll say if, for example, in your area, uh, your county, city, whatever, there were a referendum 
on whether or not to increase uh, a tax or introduce a new tax, what would you do? Um, you know, if, if we're saying, um, you know, that coming you know, from Michigan, that is a very good question. And I will I will be more than happy to tell you this true story. OK, I can't remember what year it was. I think it may have been in May of 2016, something like that. OK, there, there was a special referendum in the summertime. It was in May and it was a proposed gas tax. And it, it wasn't a giant gas tax, but it, it was enough. And the the roads in Michigan are absolutely positively horrible. Okay. You know, the I, when, when you talk about who would build the roads, a, a, a gang of really dumb chimpanzees that escaped from the zoo could probably do a better job than the Michigan DOT. Right, right, right. So anyway, the, and the comma folk were... They're just so absolutely fed up with the the gas taxes and the crappy roads, and there's a lot of money that's spent. It's it's, it's government giveaways. The MEDC Michigan Economic Development Corporation, which is basically the welfare office for businesses. It's the the the, the food stamps and and Section Eight for businesses for companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they just throw money around left and right, and it, it's a politically connected. It's it's the state level version of the Solyndra scam. But anyway, so right. this thing got voted down eighty percent to twenty percent. It may have been it may have even been eighty one nineteen. Oh wow! You can't get people to agree eighty percent on which type of puppy is the cutest, or right, if puppies right. or kittens are cuter than each other. Right. You can't get eighty. 80% of the people to agree on doodly squat, but on this they did. And the referendum went down in flames and the message was sent. We're sick and tired of your taxes. Right. So anyway, when the, uh, when the, when the state government was in session, they, they passed the gas tax increase. And on January 1st, just a few months later, it went into effect. After the, after the, so it was like a non-binding resolution or was it binding? Well, clearly, well, let me rephrase that because clearly it was, it wasn't binding. Was it supposed to be a binding resolution or? They had a, a special election, I think, primary, if not primarily for that, only for that. But, okay. but here's the thing. But they ignored uh, it completely, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They ignored it. They, yep. they said, oh, okay. We have, we have heard, we have heard you speak. We have heard your voice. We have heard your, your whimper. Your voice has been heard. Yeah. Yeah. Now go bleep off. Right. So, well, I mean, they, they could always say, "Hey, hey, we we didn't we didn't pass that that gas entry gas tax increase that you voted down. No, we we passed a different one. We passed a different one, right? right. Yeah. So, I mean, the bottom line is the 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 people voted. They said no, and they got it anyway. Right. Right. And well, and and then you'll have like, for example, I mean, how many times have have there been sweeping elections to get rid of Obamacare? still here like you know mm -hmm. how many times have there been elections to end the war in xyz yeah yeah why well, you know. the republicans don't want to end obamacare because they're going to campaign on ending obamacare for the next 50 years and then they're going to talk about preserving it like they do social security and exactly Medicare. i that's what i was just yeah. i was just talking to someone yeah. about that i said if you look at the history there's that famous speech from ronald reagan against medicare and medicaid and and they 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 uh championed ending uh medicare before that they championed ending social security from like the 1940s until probably about the 1960s they finally gave up on that but then then they were against 
Medicare and Medicaid. And they were going to end it and end it and end it. And then around the 80s, it became we're going to preserve it for future generations. That's all that's going to happen with Obamacare. It's going to be and it's going to be the same words. We're preserving it for our children. Why? Conserving it. We're conserving it. We're yeah for our children. Yeah, we're we're conservative, so we're conserving it. Yeah, well, the the conservatives never saw a liberal socialist scam that they didn't think that they could run better. They, I mean, literally, they they just elected someone who didn't even talk about ending. Pro- he didn't even use the pretense of ending programs anymore. He just said, "I'm really good at running stuff. I'm going to run it better." So I, they've, given, gun- they've given up on that. Yeah, he's a gun grabber too. I mean, bump stocks got legalized under Obama, and <laughs> Trump wants wants them banned. Have they been banned yet? Yeah, no, they've well. So there hasn't been a law, but the way it's written, supposedly the uh, the ATF basically changed the, the the scheduling or ruling or whatever, so that they they just aren't allowed, um, or they won't be allowed soon, or something like that. But but Congress didn't have, have to even get involved, and uh, Congress, who normally, I mean, imagine if Obama, without consulting Congress, moved to ban bump stocks. Republicans would be losing their minds, but because it's a Republican, it's it's okay. Which so there's definitely no dispute that voting for politicians uh, uh, is 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 a pointless uh, you know facade, and and I I, I definitely am, am with you there. I I, I do wonder about the re- the referendum thing, even if it's just that you know people see that they're not the only ones that are against it. But again, it's a it's an issue of is it you know is it going to change anything? probably not it may just help someone see that they're not the only one out there that's against this thing well here here, here's here's another story uh one of my co-hosts on the freedom fiends michael dean Mm -hmm. every every time there's an election they have a referendum on the on a temporary sales tax local sales tax for the library or i don't know if it's sales tax but it's some sort of tax increase for the library it's always supposed to last for like a couple years or whatever right and every time it gets voted down and it keeps coming back it keeps coming back every single election if it's there's a special election boom here's your library tax vote on it and they they won't take no for an answer right but here's here's the key thing and Maybe I'm maybe I'm being a bit of a purist here. The notion that your rights and money are subject to a vote are not an element of freedom. The fact that if you can get enough people to agree that you should keep your money, that's not freedom. No, it's not. That's that's just luck of the draw. That's going into the casino and coming out with a with a few of your chips left. Right. Right. Yeah. So I I I don't I don't consider that to be freedom. As a matter of fact, they say, what if there was with uh, complete decriminalization of of uh, cannabis was on there, right. and the and the drug war. I'm not talking about legalize it, tax it, and ter- tax it and regulate it because that's how it became illegal in the first place. Right, exactly. Uh, Just completely it, get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't actually illegal when when they first did the prohibition of cannabis. There was a stamp, a tax yeah. stamp that you had to have to transport it. You had to transport it to get to the place to get the stamp if you transport it without the stamp then you got arrested so they they had an impossible they had a stamp that was impossible to get and you got arrested for having it without the stamp so even if you try to obey the law and get your tax stamp for it if you took the cannabis to the tax stamp place which you have to have it there to get your stamp you were breaking the law and you went to jail so just just like they say shadow banning on facebook and youtube right, right you you were shadow banned from having weed 
Right. And then later they changed the scheduling so that you can't use it for anything. Well, that, and, that, yeah. that was just a straight up prohibition. But right. here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if, if you have a, if you have a referendum, okay. And, and, and let's say you're a, a cannabis ad, advocate or right. activist, whatever, and you want legal and you go and it gets defeated by the, the margin required for it to be considered a defeat. Are you going to abide by the results of that election? Are you asking me? Yeah. Well, I've been sober for 12 years, so I, I wouldn't do it anyway. But Lightweight. Uh, yeah, what's that? Well, Lightweight. Yeah. So, but I mean, last, that's last the time, thing. So time I spoke to Wade, Reagan was in office. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, but, but here's the thing. Are you going to, are these people going to abide by the results? Now, if if your side wins, so let's say that you want it to be decriminalized and it and your side wins, do you expect the other side to abide by the results? Right. Because if if, oh. if you're gonna if you're gonna have it one way, you have to have it the other way. So if you agree to abide by the results of that vote, uh, aren't you consenting to the criminalization if you can't get enough people to vote yes? Oh, because why would you be upset if they're not complying if they lose? If you're mm-hmm. also not going to comply, if you lose. Yeah. And incidentally, there is medical cannabis here in Michigan and it's highly regulated and the SWAT teams are still doing raids. Of course. Yeah. Uh, now they're not so much enforcing the prohibition. They're enforcing regulation. So when a SWAT team kicks in the door, one of them has a clipboard on his utility belt and marks <laughs> checks off boxes on the sheet. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. totally and, different and, now. Totally different. Yeah. And, and, and they're harassing uh, the, the the providers and, and the caregivers, and, and a lot of them are going to jail. Uh, matter of fact, there's a lot of times where they're where they're doing raids and nobody's getting arrested and there's no charges. Right. They're just they're just harassing them. Right. Right. So here's the thing, you know, I, and I believe that came about by the will of the people. LOL. You know, I I do believe that came from a vote. But anyway, here you have something that's that's been legalized, but people are still being harassed. So when you, when you have the people saying, well, we have to vote for freedom, you're not voting for freedom. You're voting for permission because, because, because if enough people can vote to take your freedom away, it's not freedom. It's permission. That's all it is. Yeah. 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 I, I certainly agree with you there. I, I find it interesting. You were, you were mentioning before about Facebook, you know, telling people to, you know, register to vote. I want, you know, I, I'm that, in my 30s. That was spam. That was spam. That was spam. <laughs> report it. I'm going to report this as, as uh, hate speech. Um, State speech I'm, is hate speech. It, no, absolutely. I'm yeah, in my 30s. About, Go if ahead. If you're going to talk about voting, do it in the unfree speech zone. Exactly. So I'm in my 30s. It took me about, I guess, 15 years to step back and say, there's a pattern to this, and I, I, you know, I don't think anything good is coming from this. I see people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 80s, whatever, and they're still saying stuff like, "This is the most important election in our lifetimes." And whenever I see stuff like the that, last most important election of our lifetimes, and until two years next, ago, yeah, until, until the next, the next most important one. And I'll ask them. I'll say, "When was an election that wasn't the most important election in our lifetimes?" And they'll, and they'll often say, well, it wasn't. It's always the most important. Well, then A, stop saying that because clearly it's always the most important thing ever. And B, you're living in crisis mode and 
there's no way you can truly be happy in life if you're really if it's not just you know political rhetoric and a lie that you're telling me and yourself if you truly believe that every two years it becomes that much more crucial that you go into this ballot box to vote or else we're all going to die or whatever you think's going to happen then there's no way you're truly enjoying life because you're living year to year in an increasing level of crisis mode and I, and I, I'm not going to live that way even if I agreed with you I wouldn't live that way most people do not have any well thought, thought out grounded beliefs. Right. It, it's like the person that says, well, I vote for the party because my daddy voted for that party and his daddy voted for that party. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, so common, what yeah. is it about that party that, that you care about? How do they appeal to you? <laughs> and, they might have, they might actually disagree with that party, but they're doing it out of tradition. It's have have you ever heard the story of the uh, young mother cutting the end off of the ham? Maybe I don't believe so. Okay, no. I'm Jewish. Uh, we don't talk about ham. <laughs> okay, well, put some put some latex gloves on as I talk about this. Okay, so uh, we'll get to you in in a minute, Pamela. She's got a question on there. Yeah, so, I was going right. I was going to I was going to uh, bring that up in a second, but go ahead. So, uh my answer is I wish the voting polls were closed everywhere. That's that's pretty uh, much all I was going to say is it's a good yeah. start. Close the rest so, of them too. All right. Go ahead. So anyway, the, the, this young mother is preparing a ham for dinner. She's she's got it in the baking dish and she's about to put it in the oven, but first she cuts the end off of it and puts the end in the baking dish. And the, the her little girl is watching her and she's like Mom, why did you cut the end off of the ham before you put it in the oven? She says, well, I don't know. It's because my mother always did it that way. And the the little girl kept kept badgering her, and she's like, well, it's not a real answer. So the, the, the young mother calls her mother and says, uh, the lesser two evils, it's still evil. Um, that's from Stephen. So anyway, the, the young mother oh, okay. calls her mother and says, hey, you know, my your your granddaughter's asking why I cut the end off of the ham, and I told her that you do it. And so why do you do it? And she says, well, I cut the end off because my mother did it too. And they're like, so you don't have like a real answer as to does it make things taste better? Does it make it juicier, right. drier? Why is this happening? And it's only because each previous mother had done it. So they get the the great-grandmother on the three-way calling because it's the modern age and cell phones right. and say hey we got this big question this this tradition this this family thing has been going on for the longest time why did you cut the end off of the ham and put it in the baking dish before you put it in the oven because we've been doing it too right. and the great the great-grandmother says ah oh, that's easy i didn't have a baking dish big enough to hold the whole ham So here you have this this tradition. Dare I even say ritual? Right. And that they never just, questioned because that's yeah. how it was always done. Right. Right. Yeah. So I I, I mentioned the Overton window earlier. The, there are people out there that they have this. I I, I like uh, Tom Woods' three by 
five card a lot better. There's uh, the three by five card of allowable opinion, where when you're talking about tax rates, you know, the, the top tax rate can be 34% or 36%. Right. Once you start talking about 37, you're a big government liberal socialist. Once you start talking about 33%, then you're an anarchist Republican that wants Social Security to end right there. Right, 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 right. So, so if someone comes in talking about yeah. why we even have taxes, you you're attacking people's belief systems. Like it's it's just as bad as you saying there isn't a god or something like that to them right. because because you're you're actually attacking they have this core belief that they don't even know why they have it that well of course taxes have to be somewhere in the 30% range. Well why? Well, why don't you move to Somalia? Like I mean that you're attacking their belief system that they don't even know why they have it. And like you said it's a ritual. It is ritual. It I mean it's it, it's as ridiculous as saying, look, if we don't have Negroes out in the field, you know, how's this cotton going to get picked? Yeah, exactly. What That's do you exactly tell me? That, that there's going to be some machine that goes through there and pulls the pulls the cotton out of the plants and processes it? What are you, crazy? You fool? And, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, 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 and there, there are just only so many options. It's like, uh, I, I don't know a whole lot about computer programming, but when you're writing code, Okay, so let's let's say you don't get the code just right, but you keep writing the same code, putting it in the same way every single time. You know, the the true definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Right. And if you only have so many options that you allow yourself, and like I said earlier, with the with the social media stuff, the politicians and the power brokers, the power lead out there, they don't mind when you argue about Coke versus Pepsi, Republican versus Democrat. Right. Just as long as you don't start talking about not drinking soda anymore. Right. Now, once you start talking about drinking water or something healthy, oh no, absolutely not. You can't have that. That's that's outside of the three by five card of allowable opinion. And and the politically minded people fall in this category themselves. You right. can explain to them how you you have an election, and you can show all these different examples of when. You know, how you had an election, how people voted really hard, and they they got some referendum knocked down, and boom, it winds up coming back. You know, it it gets passed some other way. I mean, the the gas tax increase is probably a little bit more blatant of an example than most cases, but nevertheless, it happened. So, and you can show them all these different things, and you can logically destroy the notion of voting for freedom, and you can get them to. And you, you can use the Socratic method and, and get them to the point of understanding and answering all these questions. And you can finally get them to say, you know, voting is not going to give us freedom. We have to quit doing this this way. We have to do something different. And then right after, right after you get them to say that, you say, so what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to get my name on the belt. I'm going to run for office. I'm going to change the system from the inside. From the inside. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, if you want to change the system from the inside, you better be Mexican water. So, because what what happens is because they only have these options here, they only have these ideas that the only way to do it is through political activity. And, and quite frankly, I think non political activity will do will be a whole lot better. As I said, what was the campaign that was used against MySpace in BlackBerry? Right. There wasn't one. There wasn't was one, a, yeah. It was a spontaneous order of the market. And if you look at the, the the greatest social changes that have happened out there, do you do you think that slavery would have ended if slaves were not escaping, if there wasn't an underground railroad to shepherd them out of there? 
Oh no, and 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 not so that's the the you know active uh, uh, self defensive resistance to it. You also yes. had market forces like the cotton gin, you know, later on, and and then you had uh, low cost uh, immigrant labor coming in from Europe, which. Uh, in many cases, not necessarily in the South, but in the North, at least, it was actually more affordable to just hire someone to do something than to try to own them and, and you, know, t- you know, basically meet all their needs and be responsible for their body when they die and their children and all, you know, all of that. It actually was less affordable. It was actually more affordable to just hire someone outright. And they were eager to do the work. So they worked more efficiently because they weren't just working enough to not be you know, killed or punished. They were working because they wanted to keep their job and keep their money. So there were market forces at play there, too, um, which if those things weren't in place, there wouldn't have been any appetite to elect people to to end slavery and and and, and all of that to begin with. So, I mean, it's uh, uh, voting patterns always trail behind cultural and economic patterns that that make actual changes. Government is always a liking indicator. Yeah, but, but, absolutely. But, here, but here's something else. Do you think that segregation would have ended if Rosa Parks had set her butt in the back of the bus like she was supposed to? No. It in that time? Happen. No, no, no. No, in that no. time, no, no. That was a catalyst. What was right. it that Fred, Frederick Douglass said that you can't expect change without without some agitation? I, I know I absolutely butchered it, but right. that's that's a gist behind it. And and let's go a little bit further. Let's go with Harriet Tubman and, and one of her favorite, one of her famous quotes. And there's some dispute as to whether she said this or not, but I agree with the with the sentiment. The path to freedom isn't always a legal one. Right, right. Well, I had that conversation with someone today. They were telling me they're you know the typical thing. We're not against immigration. We're just against illegal immigration. And I said, yeah, um, and, and Nancy Pelosi's not against gun ownership. She's just against illegal gun illegal ownership. gun ownership. And 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 and, I, and, and, and where does some, how does something become illegal? A bunch of idiot politicians get together and they scribble some words down on paper and make an edict. Right. Yeah. right. And, yeah, and right. people say, but but the 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 gun ownership is a constitutional right. Well, here's the thing about constitutional rights. They're words on paper. Yeah. They're amendments. Constitutions could be amended. So if they go through the amendment process and and repeal the Second Amendment and they do it according to all the bureaucracy that's required, yeah. then what? Then what? Are you going to say, well, you best turn in your guns and obey the law? You lost well, your amendment. Fr- you lost well, your quite, amendment. Yeah, quite frankly, a lot of them will do that. Well, I, you'll you'll be able to keep your amendment. You'll just have to turn in your guns, <laughs> which is how it's going. Exactly. And so, so yeah. they they brought this up, and I, my my thing was, I just said, I said, hey, look, you know, during the time of chattel slavery. It was completely illegal to leave your owner. There were fugitive slave acts. It was against federal law. They would, they, if they, if they found you, they would, uh, they would bring you back to your master. Would probably kill you to make an example out of you to to the other slaves. Would you have supported that that punishment? And they went apoplectic and they were saying, you know, you, well, you just hate order and you're, you're, I bet you're, you know, when your mother told you what to do, did you listen or not? I mean, you just went on this ramp. And, and I, and I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't respond to any of what she said. And all I, all I responded with was saying, I was actually, I wrote to the people that were reading this. I said, you'll all notice that she didn't ever even think to address what I just said because it would force her to reconcile the evil that is inherent in what she is saying that just because something is legal that in and of itself is a reason not to do something 
And I, if I felt like that, I could have gone further and said, so then this person would be perfectly fine with murdering people if it wasn't against the law. They'd be perfectly fine with rape if it wasn't against the law, because to them, the only concern is whether or not, like you said, idiot politicians got together and wrote on a sheet of paper that it was okay to do it or not. Yeah, pretty much. Now, here's another one. Did you know that prohibition of alcohol was repealed at the state level in 10 states before it was repealed at the federal level? I, one I of those, that, no. one of those states being New Yorkistan, the Empire State. Oh, wow, and I, I assume the federal government didn't respect that, or did they did they respect those repealings? Or I, I don't know all the details. I would imagine that they didn't. <laughs> but what happened was because so many people were drinking, consuming alcohol during Prohibition, the. As I mentioned earlier in the show, because everything has to come back in a circle. Right. After a couple of years, more people were consuming alcohol than before Prohibition. Right. And there were more alcohol-related problems like injuries, domestic violence, all the different things that were supposed to go away with Prohibition. Right, all the reasons they were against it in the first place. Yeah, Yeah. there there was more alcohol poisoning than than, than before Prohibition. You had more gangland rub-outs during prohibition than before oh, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact i don't think you had any gangland pro gangland rubouts for fighting for territory but anyway what happened was because so many people were violating the law it was unenforceable I mean, what are you going to do arrest everybody right and then here's Including the, the police problem. everyone yes. was i mean everyone, everyone was drinking yeah. now now here's here's the best part when when these cases were going to trial People were voting not guilty. I mean, they couldn't buy a conviction. You had all these people saying, you know what, we see this law, but it's a stupid law, and we're gonna you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna do what you say. We're, we're gonna be a check on government guilty. power versus a rubber stamp. Right. Because jury nullification, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you had jury nullification, which by the way was used to circumvent the, the fugitive slave laws yep. in the in the century before that. Yep, yep. But you had all these people saying, you know, we, we're not going to do this. And I, I used to have a really good, really good line to explain this. this is, oh yeah. Uh, the, the, the fact that they could nullify was to say that the people were the rightful power of government or the rightful master of government instead of the other way around. And when, when you say that, sometimes uh, the conservatives will get really, really cranky, especially when you're talking about gun rights. And I got a little story that we'll go into in a minute. But anyway, so they couldn't get a conviction. So they could go out and they could arrest all these people. They could go right. to court. And all they're doing is getting practice. They're, they're, they're wasting money. Well, they don't really care about wasting money, but they're not getting any results out of their money. And even better, they're being made to look like chumps, like fools like little b words right they're just getting their butts handed to them so they had no choice but to surrender yes the government surrendered in those 10 states and then after seeing the trend seeing what was going on and then chasing the trend fdr campaigned as the wet candidate because he knew they couldn't keep the war on alcohol going yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he knew he knew it was a losing proposition. So the the prohibition of alcohol wasn't re, wasn't repealed because 
my freedoms and all of that other stuff. Right. It was an acknowledgement of defeat. It was a graceful surrender. And of course they tried to, they try to look at their defeat and call it a victory. Right. Right. What well, was yeah. it? was a, it was a pure failure. It, it was yes. a demonstrable failure that you were not going to change society by saying no, no, no. And, and we're seeing it now with, 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 uh, with drug prohibition. It's the exact yeah, same cannabis. thing. There's yeah. it's yeah. C- cannabis, so, heroin, all of it. Like, I mean, heroin's not good. I am not a pro heroin advocate. I I'm not, you know, marijuana is something that, you know, it's less harmful than alcohol. There's, there's potential medicinal benefits to it and, and all of that stuff. Heroin is something that's bad for you. You shouldn't do heroin, but it gets made worse by creating a black market and putting people in cages for doing heroin. Well, that's, the the hard drugs are a result of the iron law of prohibition. Right. Uh, Mark Thornton of the Mises Institute has, has written a book. I believe it was when he was at Cato, he wrote this book. And he talks about the consequences of prohibition. A lot of people look at the, the things that go on, go on with the illicit drug markets today, and they blame the drugs. Right. But the reality right. is that this stuff is a result of the prohibition and not the drugs. For as horrible as those drugs are, the 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 worst problem of the drug use pales in comparison to the mildest problem caused by prohibition. Exactly. exactly. So what you have is why are, why are there all these hard drugs out there? It's not that there's really a strong market for it. Uh, when you talk to a lot of pot smokers, one of the biggest complaints out there is that you can't find dirt weed anymore. The only right. thing that you can find is this super powered, yeah. you know, Say goodbye to your family and friends because you're losing your mind for a couple of days. Right, right, type right. Stuff. Right. You know, the, the dirt weed that I grew up on doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. And, and, and the reason is, and you saw this during the prohibition of alcohol, and you see it now with cannabis, you can charge a lot more money for higher potency product. With uh, whiskey, whiskey is much more powerful as far as alcohol content than beer. Now, if you have the same amount of risk of running a truckload of beer and a truckload of whiskey, but you can charge four times as much for the whiskey, that's that's a no-brainer. You're going to bring whiskey in. So instead of having a bunch of people with beer guts that that weren't drinking as as much actual alcohol, you have people that are drinking hard liquor. Right. And you have a lot of the stuff that's going, you know, the you have the alcohol-related illnesses, the cirrhosis of the liver, pancreatitis, all these different things. You have much higher frequencies than you had before. Now, you also have with uh, with the weed, uh, if if you get the the same same risk from running twenty kilos of weed as, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to have the superpower stuff that you get charged four times as much? Right or the right. low cost stuff. It, it it's a no brainer. It, it creates an incentive to have more powerful product out there. And, or, and quite, or twenty kilos of of you know heroin in, in, yeah. instead of you know if you're, if the risk is the same, why wouldn't you do whatever can get make you the most money? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, the the more powerful it is, also the the, the more that you can cut it. As a matter of fact, do you know where brandy came from? Brand no. brandy is just a really strong wine. What happened was they they were making up this, they they were making the super potent stuff because of the tax on the barrel of wine. It was really high tax, so they were still paying the taxes, but they were making the super powered stuff running across the border and then diluting it, 
and then selling it at regular, you know, oh, at regular wow. okay. Okay. But it, it turned out that there was actually a taste for the brandy. And so that they kept doing it that way. Hmm. But I, that's something that's been done to circumvent the intervention. The, in that case, the intervention is taxation. In, in the case of, uh, yes, Jacob, people still smoke the weeds, or maybe they inject it. I don't know. Or maybe they put it in their eye and get high from that way. Yeah, they inject it's, the marijuana in their eyeballs now. It's very sad. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. They're taking the weeds. But, here, but here's the, the thing. So you have this much more powerful stuff that's out there. You also had people that were making their own alcohol at home. You know, the, the old bathtub gin. Right. When you look, when you look at, at, at a lot of the drugs that are out there, like the meth, I mean, that's just pure crap in there. And, yeah, and meth has been around for a long time, yeah. but it has, it's only been popular since even slightly popular since uh, the seventies. Yeah. 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 I know it exploded. Cause I, I, when I was in school, they were told us about it. And it exploded in like the mid to late nineties. And then again, a few years ago, and then it was replaced again by, by heroin. And it's all related to which one you can get cheaper ultimately. Um, but it's, yeah. Thank, thank you. You just brought up a great point. Cannabis is not a gateway to heroin. Cannabis seizures are a gateway to heroin. Yeah. I, I was in the, uh, I, I, yeah, I've talked about this enough publicly. This it's, it's not it's not a big secret. Uh, I was homeless a number of years ago. Okay, and I was in a VA homeless uh, treatment program. So is homelessness and mental health and everything else. Okay. And I really learned a lot, and this pushed me towards libertarianism too. Uh, one of the things I found out is the the people that were that wound up uh, going from weed to like crack and heroin and all this sort of stuff. And I, I, I talked to a lot of people on this. They, they were going through whatever it was that they needed to self-medicate with the cannabis. Right. And there were many of them that because there was a drug bus in the area and weed dried up or there was just a shortage, but yep. they still needed to self-medicate, they weren't looking to smoke crack, but right. they went to the dealer and they're like, yeah, it's what I got. Right. Give it a shot. Yeah. And next yeah. thing you know, they're crackheads. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I was doing drugs, it was the same thing. Now, I, I, I was thankfully I was smart enough to stay away from uh, well, a couple of times. For the most part, I stayed away from cocaine products. I never got involved in any of the, the, the heroin products. I did some pills, but I, I, I was not. Big. My big thing was weed and alcohol. Um, the times that the only times I did any cocaine was when we couldn't get any weed. And, and, uh, well, there was that one time we did both, but most of the time it was when you couldn't get what you actually wanted. And for me, when, when they would say, well, no, I've got crack or whatever. It's like, I'll just be, you know, strung out for the next couple of days. And, and, you know, I'm not going to, I've seen crackheads. I don't want to get into that. But some of my friends did, they would get into that. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. It's, if you, if you, if you dry up the supply, you know, uh, you can tell a Jew they can't have pork, but if they go to the store and there's no beef, there's no chicken, there's no bread, there's no lettuce, there's no cabbage, there's no, you know, there's no anything else. All that's there is pork. Now what? So, I mean, it's if, if you have someone that has an addiction issue and uh, or, or is self-medicating because of mental health issues or chronic pain issues, because um, then there's the other issue of people who get into illegal drugs in the first place because their doctor isn't allowed to prescribe them the pain meds they need for chronic pain. So, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff there that when government gets involved and tells you you can't do something, then you end up going into a black market with people who don't give a crap about you 
but they'll they'll sell you whatever you need, and now you're buying, you know, uh, you're buying meth, heroin, you know, black tar, heroin, crack, whatever else. So no, it's absolutely a, a, a gateway to, to that. Yeah, drug busts are a gateway to hard drugs yeah, or cannabis absolutely. confiscations and shortages. So yeah, is there anything else to cover on that? Do you think we? No, I, I think there. we're pretty good. I mean, the, the next thing I was going to bring up was, uh, and it was something you wanted to talk about, was the parallels between the so-called left and the so-called right, the, the basically okay. all the different flavors of authoritarians. Well, th- there is something that I, w- that I do want to add to it. Okay. Um, going, going back to the previous thing, I think that if, that if uh, there was decriminalization of all drugs, I think that meth would pretty much disappear. Yeah. There, there's still people that would do it. It would not be as popular as it is. It, 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 it became popular in the 70s because of interventions. I mean, there was a time when nobody wanted meth, but when you get to a point that that's all that was available. That's all that was available, yeah, right? I, I, still think there, I still think that there would be some hallucinogens. I, I do believe that the designer uh, club drugs would be there. I think they'd be a lot safer because they'd probably be made in labs instead of people's houses or right. their sheds. So I, I do think those problems would go away. But let, let's go back to the war on alcohol. Okay. Okay. The war on, how long did the war on alcohol last? That was probably, it, it was well over 10 years, probably what, 15, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. I know it was, I think it was at or around a decade. Um, that yeah. Was yeah. yeah. And, and, oh, it was over a decade. I think it went from 1917 to 32, something like that. I can sound about right. Quickly. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking it up because I'm curious. But yeah, it, it was maybe, it was at least ten years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and and every year it escalated. It got stronger, right? Right. Yeah. Just just like the war on drugs has gotten stronger. Yeah. And you had gun control. The the first non-racist gun control legislation came about because of the the gang violence, the gangland rubouts of prohibition. The the gangsters, the syndicates trying to take each other out to get territory. So Exactly, exactly. What and you're giving them you're taking people that they'll murder, they'll do whatever for money, and you're giving them a new market. So you're giving them more money. You're giving them you know, you're you're essentially yeah. handing them money and of you're course they're gonna kill each other, yeah. You're you're incentivizing violence. There are people out there that would kill you for a dollar, but they won't kill you for fifty cents. Right. And right. by by making the the profit from the the drug or alcohol trade a dollar, you've just incentivized them to kill to maintain current territory and obtain new territory. Exactly. So exactly. so you yep. so you have all the you have gun control legislation coming about as a response to the problems caused by prohibition. So government is looking at a a problem and completely misdiagnosing the cause of it. Right, right, exactly. Right? Yeah, and it was from 1920 to 1933. It was a 13-year thing. Okay. Now, for all of you political crusaders out there to say, we can get the right people in there. We can get somebody like Calvin Coolidge. Right. When was Calvin Coolidge the president? In the late 1920s? Yep. Hey, Calvin Coolidge, the alcohol warrior, the president that prosecuted the war on alcohol, you know, Mr. Small Government guy. Oh, by the way, 
that gun control legislation that I was talking about? Yeah. 1927. Who was yeah. president at that time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you remember in 2012 when everybody was talking about how Ron Paul was going to become president and he was going to end the Fed and how the Fed, the hundred-year Fed charter was going to be over, was going to be up in 2013 and they'd have to justify their existence. You right. remember how that died out when they found out that the Fed charter was made permanent in 1926? I remember hearing about that, and then it just kind of went away. But yeah. I, I, I assumed it was bogus when they when I first heard it. I was like, "Who no was the president in 1926?" Coolidge, Mister Do Nothing, Calvin Coolidge. No. So this notion that you're going to get the right people into office and and they're going to reform things, yeah, they, they did reform some some things there the there there was a there was less spending and there was also less uh uh taxes were lowered but government still grew it, it it's it's kind of like having the balloon uh Im- imagine the the long balloon and, and it's blown up as tied off at one end and i'm and i'm gonna squeeze the balloon and yeah. i'm say look how i'm shrinking government where did the air go it went to another part because right. that's what happens when you use politics to shrink government, you get gun control, yep. you get a permanent Fed charter, and you get a war on alcohol by Mr. Laissez-faire. Right. And then to top it off, you get Hoover that winds up being the next president who was the architect of most of the FDR's New Deal programs. Right. FDR didn't come up with most of that stuff. That was, that was Hoover's doing. Another one that's wrongly attributed as laissez-faire. laissez-faire. And then, of course, you get um, you get Red DR followed by Truman, uh, Kennedy, Johnson, and and just every list of communists that have gone down the line. So right. this whole notion that you're going to yeah, yeah. The, this whole notion that you're going to get all these people in there. Oh, and and the other thing, and libertarians should hate Coolidge for this. There was this bill in 26 or 27. I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. It was kind of like a numbering act. And what they did was it started the nationalization of maroads. The the federal government was not very active in maroads until after that particular act. And I wish I could remember what it was called. But under Coolidge, FDR got very involved in the roads. Interestingly enough, because the government was so lousy at doing roads and infrastructure and everything else, and it was usually just such a boondoggle, private companies were laying miles and miles of road when yeah. government was, was laying feet and feet of road. Right, right, yeah. And by, I, I want to say it was 19, or 1858 or 1853, I can't remember exactly, all but two state constitutions had prohibited public funding of infrastructure projects because of all the corruption and incompetence involved in it. Yeah. So now you have the government getting back involved under Coolidge. Yeah, I remember hearing, and I don't. I think it was around this time or maybe earlier. There was a guy. There's a lake in Louisiana, and uh, government had failed to uh, to build a bridge to. It was. I think it was a lake. It was either a lake or a river. And anyway, so a guy ended up building a a toll bridge, and it was very popular because it was the easiest way to get from whatever city to whatever other city somewhere in Louisiana. And uh, what government ended up doing was they started taxing that bridge and they used the money to build another bridge that they let <laughs> people go over for free. 
And it, it obviously once they built it, there was no point to using this guy's bridge anymore. And so he, you know, ended up going, you know, becoming penniless or going out of business or whatever. And uh, they see they, you know, once he wasn't able to to pay the taxes anymore, uh, they uh, they they took that bridge. Now there's two bridges there, or at least there were at the time. And uh, you know, government choked out their competition, and there was nothing he could do about it. He had to pay the taxes. Yeah, they made the they made the users of the other bridge pay for the new bridge and said, "Look what we did for you! Look exactly. what we gave you. you a free bridge!" <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people people believed in it. So so it's like it's like raping somebody and then saying, "Look, I gave you a child." Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or yeah, you you rape them and someone else isn't being raped, and you go, I'm, "Look, I'm saving you from rape or whatever." We so, we have a we have a question from a viewer. Oh, hey, Lou, remember the conversation we had about basically having no government and how people would be punished for things like murder or rape? How do you guys think a society without government could hand out punishment for said crimes without force? I'm not arguing the point. I, I just don't have a good answer. Vigilante, do you think that would be right? Well, what's the difference between the between the actual victim seeking justice with people from the neighborhood versus the so-called disinterested third party. And isn't government police and courts a vigilante aside from the belief that they're not? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, and I can't speak for anyone else. I don't ever say that force or, or violence or, or, you know, whatever physical force should never be used. I mean, obviously in defense or as a, you know, as a, as a, you know, a, 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 an act of retribution to, to, to prevent something like that from happening again, of course you're going to have that. I, I, I don't, I don't believe in a, in a, uh, you know, hippie utopia that, that, I mean, it'd be great if we could, but I don't want to hurt anyone, but I don't think it's, it's feasible to say that no one's ever going to hurt anyone. And that if someone oh, hurts yeah. you, there's, you should never do anything to them. I, I definitely believe in the idea of punishing people if they, if they harm someone else's, uh, uh, you know, uh, whether it's their life or their, their property or their, their body or whatever else, if you don't have those boundaries and you don't have something in place that says, uh, th that, you know, if you do X, Y, if you do this, something's going to happen to you. Or if we, if you try to do this and we're, you know, we, we'll try to stop you. There's nothing wrong with that. Where the breakdown happens is having it in a, in a, a, a forced association. So if I live in my home and someone comes up to me and says, Hey, uh, we're going to protect you. And we created this system, this, you know, legal system, whatever you want to call it, that if someone hurts you, they're going to get punished and we'll protect you. And it, it only cost you X a month. And I go, yeah, it's a good idea. That that's you know that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If they come and they say it's this much a month, and I say, yeah, you know, I think I got it. I'm going to do. I'm. I have it. You know, I have it taken care of, or I've. I have this other service, and I'm. I'm good. And they go, no, no, no. This isn't optional. You're going to pay us this, and we're going to protect you. That's the breakdown. That's when it's now a state or a monopoly, uh, where you're forcing the person to be associated with this in the first place. That's the breakdown. Not that. Not that someone who's committing murder is being is is after the fact being rounded up and, and, and stopped either by the, 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 the victims, you know, uh, loved ones or by just, uh, you know, an organization that has, you know, been put together to do these types of things. The problem is when there's forced association with that entity. Mm -hmm. I, there, there's so much stuff that could be, that could be said on the subject. I'm just going to give my brief little overview on it. And right. this is where, this is where I tend to lean. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm hard and fast and, and set in stone on this, but a, a way to look at this, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, government is just a vigilante of its own. It just calls itself exactly. something. Right. Right. But, but here's what you have to look at. 
if if you have a murder or a rape, and those are the two examples that were that were given there, right? Uh, you have a you have a query to find victim. So in a rape, you have the person that was raped. In a murder, you have the person that was murdered, and then you also have like let's say the family members of the of the person that was murdered. Uh, if, if if a man is married married and he's murdered, well, his wife and children that he may have are also victims of this. Right, right. Uh, his parents are. But I with with the uh, with the with the wife and kids, you could you could clearly say, okay, well, there's a financial loss that's there. Instead of looking at a murder or a rape as a crime against society, how about looking at it as a violation against the actual victim? Exactly. You you always hear this: pay your debt to society. Well, no, I didn't murder society. I yeah. murdered Spike because. He wouldn't share his ham with me. He's not really Jewish. <laughs> but, yeah, but you still can't have it. Just because I can't have it doesn't mean you can have it too. Yeah. But anyway, it's still it, mine. It, when you look at it differently, and, and there was a, an article by, I can't remember if Clarence Darrow wrote it or it was about him, but uh, the, the, the notion was if you get robbed, if you get mugged, you're better off not calling the cops at all and having it investigated because – uh, one, you lost your money. You're not going to get it back. And then when the, then you have to pay part of the court cost to get the person convicted. And then you have to pay part of the cost to keep them incarcerated for all these years. Right. So you're going to wind up if if they go to trial and go to jail, you wind up losing more than you than you would have lost had you just cut your losses at being mugged. Right, right, right. And, so, and learned your lesson and changed your yeah. routine or or you know gotten a gun or do whatever you do to to stop it from happening again. So the robbers, the robber situation is really simple. Uh, the the way I see it, the robber owes restitution to the actual victim. Yep. Meaning, if I steal one hundred dollars from you, I have to give you a hundred dollars. Uh, if you were to hire a company to do the investigation, and, and quite frankly, you wouldn't hire somebody over a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. There might there probably be small claims court or something like that. Exactly. But anyway, exactly. there there would be dispute resolution out there. But if you look at these things as a dispute versus a crime against society, right? That's that's a better way to handle these things, in my opinion. Right. So I think I think that in the case of a robbery, I'd owe you one hundred bucks. I'd owe you the the restitution for. The, the trial and I would probably owe you a little something extra for your trouble called an a-hole tax. Right, right, right. And, and obviously force is involved because if you rob me and these people come and say, well, you owe them a hundred dollars, that's not optional. So yes, yeah. force is involved there, but the reason force is involved is as a, is as a, as a, uh, a restitutional thing to, to resolve the initial encroachment that you made against me by robbing me. It's not, you, you aren't being harmed because you know, uh, you're you're an innocent victim. You're 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 being you're 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 having restitute restitutive restitution. Whatever. You're having a, a, an act of restitution in the form of force used because of what you did. So it's not a it's 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 that's different from a state. That's that's actual justice. When we talk about justice, that's actual justice. That is yeah. something happened, and so something is happening to to resolve that so, to bring it back as close to before that as possible. In a robbery, you can make the victim whole again. Right, or exactly. it's, it's more possible. In 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 a murder, you can't bring the dead person back. Exactly. And killing the other person, it may satisfy a lust for vengeance. And, and I'm not I'm not 
completely opposed to retribution either. Right. But I, you, you can't make the victim whole in that regard. You yeah, can no, you definitely them. can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you, you can have punishment in there, but uh, I there, there's something else. I believe this even goes to the Bible. There were there were areas that people would be exiled to where they would be outlaws. And the original meaning of the word outlaw was you were outside the protection of the law. Right. right. And they could go to these places, these sanctuaries for scumbags. And so long as they stayed there, they were safe. There was no problem. But but the moment they left there, then boom. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was their choice to make. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my that would be my answer to that. I think I think sometimes people and I'm maybe not necessarily um, maybe not necessarily Steve, but there are people that when they hear no government, they think that means no justice, no you know rules at all, no standards or boundaries or anything else. It's just a bunch of people you know running around like in Mad Max or something like that. And and it's not. It's there's still going to be order. We as 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 individuals still want safety, stability. Uh, 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 commerce. We want good relations with people around us, if at all possible. We, we want to be able to get from point A to point B. We still want infrastructure. We still want all of the creature comforts that we enjoy today. You know, we, we're not anarcho-primitivist. You know, we don't want to go and, and you know go into the trees and eat berries. Which, if you do, if you do, that's fine. But I don't. And I like berries. Uh, oh, I love berries. I just I I'm not built to climb trees anymore. Um, you, you have. Neither am I, uh, but with me, it's just old and fat. But anyway, right. you, you've just brought up a very important point. The, the notion that, peop- that things that people want would not exist without government is absolutely asinine because people, people want cannabis right now, and they're not even allowed to have it. And there are people out there that are willing to provide it, just like, they're, just like people want to eat. Well, there's people that are willing to provide food. People want cars. There are people that are willing to, to build cars and sell them. Right, that's, right. that's the whole thing of the market. And this, this is where governments absolutely fail. They, they cannot compete with the market. And this goes back to what I said earlier. There is no natural monopoly. And the only way that you can become wealthy in the market is by satisfying the needs of your customers exactly satisfying exactly. their wants or desires so right. if you want justice there will be a market for justice and people will provide it yep. there won't be any government cops and law enforcers but there will be security and protection because if you want security and protection and you're willing to pay somebody to provide it somebody will provide it to of you course. of course and there's if always can, if there, there's a market for it exactly and if you can't afford it they'll find a way to get you a better deal Exactly. They'll, 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 find, they'll find a smaller package or a competitor will come in there and say, hey, we can provide this service at a lower cost. Uh, Pamela has a question there There says, uh, if somebody harmed her child that she actually needed to get sure justice, uh, I, th- I think she's looking at. Yeah. So, oh, sure that they are punished. So here's a way of looking at, at this. Uh, one, I do think that there will be a, a lot less of these different things you would not you would not have the incentive for crimes you could probably calculate an awful lot of the murders out there to the drug trade and things that go along with the drug trade right so when when you eliminate these these disincentives to good behavior and you get down to the the raw number of murders and stuff you're going to murder's not going to go away 
there's not going to be some kind of unicorn utopia. You're, oh, you're going to have. You're going to have crimes of passion where somebody becomes so emotionally overwrought over a cheating spouse or something of that nature. You'll have those crimes of passion. You will have uh, mental and social defects like serial killers. Those right. are still going to exist. Yeah. 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 But when you take away the incentives to bad behavior, the looting and pillaging, the, the the stuff that goes along with that, right. you're going to get down to the base number of murders. Yeah. Okay, yeah. murders not going away. You know, nobody's claiming that it will. Right. It will just be greatly reduced. You know, right. it, it, it it's like when I talk about uh, how, how many gangland rubouts did you have over the alcohol trade before or after prohibition? You know, what were the what did the drug cartels look like before? drug prohibition they didn't right. they, did, they right. didn't they didn't exist yeah. yeah yeah so you can eliminate a lot of that stuff yeah. you can eliminate a lot of the of the robberies yeah because in a truly free market things are going to be a lot more affordable you're not going to have crappy money that loses value all the time exactly yep and i mean it it really it, my argument for anarchy is it eliminates the incentive for bad behavior which most people are just absolutely convinced. You know, it's like I was talking about earlier, because everything has to go in a circle. People have this Overton window in this belief system of this is the only w- way that things can work. The only way that we can have these flat, hard services that automobiles go on is by having government extort people. Right. And there's no there's no way that a man could build no a bridge and, and, yeah. and charge people a buck to go across it yeah. Yeah. Exactly. on his own. Yeah. So... Now, now with, uh, I, I think that there would be a lot less of these of these crimes. Now, there's something else that would go on there. Not only would would uh, crimes not be incentivized, but there would also be a disincentive of it. Let's say it was an absolute positive, lawless society, no laws whatsoever. What do you think would happen to you if you killed somebody? Particularly somebody that was liked in the community. Right. Particularly somebody that had a family it's quite possible that the family out there would take you down or it's quite possible that somebody in the community might look at this wrong and say you know what something needs to be done about this exactly yeah i i happen to be one of those people that can do it I, i saw a headline recently here in michigan but down in macomb county down in the down in the uh, southeastern corner it says uh police baffled third pedophile found murdered yeah I saw. in in x amount of time you know the, the trash gets tra- taken out now i don't guarantee that there would be a perfect system and i don't know Pamela, no that you would thing. get yeah. that you would get the justice that you believe is right uh but i do believe that if somebody behaved in such a heinous behavior that the community standards would have their page taken down, so to speak, because the, everything the is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think if a person raped somebody, they would get deplatformed, and their page and ass would get deleted. Yeah, yeah. I know. I agree. And and it's again, we want order. We want stability. We want you know. We're not we're not advocating for you know you know a murder a murder rich society like like lou said a lot of that stuff's going to go away because here's another thing to talk about there are a lot of people that are you know they're thieves they're they're rapists they're murderers whatever because they have been raised on a concept of entitlement by virtue of their very birth 
that wouldn't exist in a free market society. You have entire generations of people who've never actually worked a day in their lives. Um, mm -hmm. They are existing on government largesse, and basically they're getting that in exchange for their vote to continue it. And they have a, a, an entitlement mentality that doesn't just end with you know, welfare, housing, whatever they're getting, it continues to, I want that thing you have. And because I exist, no one's ever told me that I can't have stuff just because I exist. I've been told just the opposite. So now I want that thing. I take it from you. And uh, which is why, you know, you have such high crime in areas with such high poverty, because a lot of the time, a lot of the people that are there have been taught, they've been taught nothing but everything you can have what you want because you exist. So that would go away as well. That entitlement mentality. Well, let's take it a step further. Uh, they are incentivized to do bad things, but there are also people, you know, the, the, the good people out there, the Pamela's and I presume Steve, who right. th they're good people and, and maybe they want to follow the law. They don't want to get in trouble. Right. But when we look at the criminalization of self-defense over the, over the past few decades, it yep. used to be to where if somebody broke into your house then, you know, yeah, you'd have to call the cops and do a report, but you could call the carcass removal service and have them taken out rather quickly. Right, oh, by right, the way, right. Steve, we're not going into speeding laws, maybe on another show. But these days, if you, you defend your property, particularly property, not, not so much like, but if you defend your property, you can wind up doing more time than the burglar that robs you. Exactly. Think about that. Yeah, no, you, you can get more time. You can get punished more severely for defending your property than the thief that was stealing it. Yep. So for the, I, I, I hate to use this term law-abiding citizen because I think of that as obedient slave, but for the person that wants to conform to society and do what they believe to be the right thing. Or just not harm others, just, you know, a yeah. nonviolent person. Right. Right. Yeah. I, to me, violence is, is hardly ever the, the, the first answer. Of course. I know. Oh, of course you're in my, you come in my home and I don't know who the heck you are. Right. In, in that case, violence is the first, second and third answer. Right. But I, I personally would ra I personally would rather solve problems nonviolently, peacefully, intellectually, whatever. And but I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination. Right. I'm right. not. I am not a pacifist. Yeah. And there's a lot. There's a lot of libertarians out there that are. I don't believe in initiating aggression. Yeah. No, I believe in finishing it, though. Right. Right. Absolutely. I'm. I'm. I'm with you there. And I. And I'm. I'm not. There are a lot of, like you said, libertarians that are like, well, you know, violence is bad. And it's like, well, it depends on the violence. I mean, you know, what, what are we talking about violence to harm someone because you want their stuff? Or are we talking about violence against that guy? Because if we're talking about violence against that guy, I'm all for that kind of violence. I'm for that violence every every day of the week. Yeah. So I, I hope that answers your, your question, Pamela. Pamela. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's satisfactory. I hear we're supposed to be making fun of SJWs and CJWs. So let's get to that. Yeah, yeah. So the most people in the world, but especially in, in the, let's say, in, in, in the U.S., they have this idea that, you know, again, talking about the Overton window or the three-by-five card uh, of uh, flashcard of, of allowable opinion, that, you know, the, the poles of, of political opinion are 
Democrats and Republicans. That that's the, you know, you're either a Democrat or Republican or, or a centrist, you're a moderate, somewhere in between, which is so, I mean, that there's, if you look at an actual spectrum of politics, they're in, Democrats and Republicans occupy such a small part of that, that spectrum, and they're so close together. And so we, and we, and there's, you know, even if you don't know about all the different political belief systems and, and, and ideologies and so forth, just looking at their behaviors tells you that there's not much of a difference. So, you know, you've got your political correctness on the left and you've got your patriotic correctness on the right. Yeah, They're both yeah. triggered by you saying stuff that, you know, that they don't like and they want the government to harm you for it. And you've got, you know, social justice and cultural justice. And it's, be, it's the same before, thing. Be, before you uh, before you steal my thunder anymore. OK, uh, I, I, I want to read from an article here, okay. and this is from the Washington Post. And it's an older article, December 7th, 2016. The right has its own version of political correctness. It's just as stifling. And it, it goes on to talk about how, how annoying leftists are. And, and they are. And they're, they're absolutely horrible. Right. The, it's with, with all the, did you just assume my gender? And did you just assume this? And, right. and there's 600 different genders. And God only knows how many gender pay gaps to go along with that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, just all the political correctness crap that goes out there. It, it, it's, I get the, I get the, the idea every once in a while that these people aren't real. They're just trolling to see how far, how much they can get away with and how many people are going to take the bait. But right. anyway, this article here, but then they just keep going. And yeah. so in this article here, they're, they're, they're talking about that. It starts off president elect Donald Trump has not been shy about the big problem in this country political correctness. Trump right. has blamed PC for the attack at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. They have put political correctness over common sense above your safety and above all else, he tweeted. And the rise of the militant group Islamic State, his voters agreed. Indeed, it might have even been the reason for his victory. And we're going to touch on the on the pendulum of stupidity in a minute. It's not just him. Political correctness has become a major bugaboo of the right in the past decade, a rallying cry after all that that has gone wrong with liberalism and America. Conservatism or conservative writers fill volumes complaining how political correctness stifles free expression and promotes bunk social theories about power structures based on patriarchy, race and mass victimhood. Forbes change, charge that it stifles freedom of speech. The Daily Caller has gone so far as to claim that political correctness kills Americans. Right. But conservatives have their own nationalist version of PC, their own set of rules regulating speech, behavior, and acceptable opinions. I call it patriotic correctness. It's a full-throated, unnuanced, uncompromising defense of American nationalism, history, and cherry-picked ideals. Central to his thesis is the belief that nothing in America can't be fixed by more patriotism enforced by public shaming boycotts and policies to cut out foreign and non-American influences. Right. Insufficient displays of patriotism among the patriotically correct can result in exclusion from public life and ruined careers. It also restricts common, honest criticism of failed public policies, diverting blame for things like the war in Iraq to the to those Americans who didn't support the war effort enough. Yeah. It, it's almost like, what it, what was it? Uh, Peter Pan, if you believe in fairies, clap really hard, something yep. like that. 
know, you, you don't you didn't support the troops because you didn't wave your flag hard enough. When you no. waved your flag, they couldn't hear the whipping of the of the of the cloth in the wind. Right. Or or if football man doesn't stand for the magic song, the sky cloth won't freedom properly. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, and quite yeah. frankly, uh, I haven't seen the article, but I've heard about it. I, I believe it's an article. At, at any rate, my understanding is Jonah Goldberg, who is a conservative writer for National Review, I call it Nationalist Review, has said that there's absolutely no difference between the Trump deplorables and the social justice warrior left. That They're cut from the same cloth, but the only difference would be that, that the deplorables are wearing red pussy hats and the left liberals are, are wearing pink pussy hats. Right, right. And, and other, it's, other than that, they're indistinguishable from each other in their behavior. Right, and, and in their desires. There's nuance between exactly what they want, but ultimately what they want is for the government to force people they don't like to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do while simultaneously leaving them alone for the most part because, you know, what they do is right and, and they want to be allowed to do, you know, what they want permission, like you said, to do what they want to do. And that's it. And, and so it's, you know, it's not hard to convince someone that they should be free. It's a lot harder to convince them that other people should be free to do what they want, even if it's something you don't agree with and that hurts your feelings. Yeah. And, and, and that's what the, both sides are doing the same thing. Yeah, and, and normally you have a you do have an ideological dividing line where the left is typically considered to be pro drug use, where the right is considered to be pro gun use, yep. um, and they each side is opposed to the other's pro. So the 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 left are anti gun and right. the right are anti drug for the anti-drug. most part. Yeah. Now now here's the thing, and, and we talked about this with that very first prohibition era drug law or gun gun law, and it wasn't a big thing, but most most freedom dies by a thousand cuts, not a single slice. Of course. So it was the first one. It 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 was the camel's nose under the tent of gun control, in the in the realm of uh, public safety or of sorts. And it also set the conditions for, was it the gun control act of 1935? Yeah. I think it was getting rid of automatic weapons and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Machine, so, machine guns. Right. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it was the first, it was the first shovel full of dirt out of the hole. Right. But anyway, here's the thing it is we've already demonstrated. If conservatives love the second amendment and their gun rights, which are two different things. If they love their gun rights, then they should absolutely positively be opposed to the war on drugs. Because as we just demonstrated, prohibition has fueled the war on drugs and the war on alcohol has fueled the war on guns. And it's created gun violence that the left uses as a, as a platform. You know, every time there's a shooting, the left seizes upon that crisis to say, this is why we need gun control. So no, the, the, Anything that gets in the way of you being able to use whatever weapon you want to defend yourself uh, needs to be gotten rid of, and that includes the drug war. But that in, that would involve you allowing people to do stuff that you don't agree with, and that's the that's the the core problem with with the authoritarian left and the authoritarian right is that what they share in common 100% is that they don't think people that they especially people they don't like, but but whether it's the rich or certain colors of people or certain religions or whatever, people they don't like in aggregate to do stuff that they don't want them to do. Yeah. 
Now, the important part of what you just said is they hate other people's freedom so much that they will give up their own freedom to take away somebody else's. Exactly. And, and, and this is where the dividing line crosses. This is where you get the people that they, they don't even support an ideology that was given to them because they have no beliefs of their own. They're they're repeating what they are told by oh, yeah. Yeah. whatever talk show host or whatever great man politician that they worship. Right, right. And and Trump with, with Trump being a a big government liberal Democrat for his whole career, I one thing I will that I will say about him is he has been such a genius to convince the right and the left that he is a conservative Republican. I know it's, a, it's he amazing. has tricked he has tricked everybody into believing that yeah. but here's the thing because these people that the, they're they're following their their great man their their trump they're, they're just trump pansies and the same thing on on the on the left but in this particular case i was talking to a conservative i was talking to a pro second amendment conservative i was talking to a pro second amendment conservative that respects the bill of rights completely okay. yet yet he supported the Mulford Act back in 1967 in California, okay. which outlawed open carry of firearms. Oh, because of the Black Panther thing. Yeah, the, the Black Panthers were were going around the California state capitol to protest gun control laws. Here you have a leftist group protesting gun control laws, and a right-wing group is saying, oh, my God, we need gun control. As a, as a response, as a knee-jerk thing, yeah, exactly. As a, as a response to it, yep. so th this guy's talking about how he supported that because the the Panthers were having their open carry Second Amendment rallies at the at the state capitol to protest gun control laws, and and he feared for his safety. I called him a big government liberal, and he says, "Did you just assume my political ideology? I'm a conservative, right? Yeah, I'm a." Uh, if if you go by these this ideological stereotype, a gun grabbing conservative is supposed to be like a libertarian socialist or a banana octopus. Right, right, right. And and the same thing happened with uh, with the anti war left under Obama, during the during the the Bush regime, I, they were out there protesting left and right, yeah. and then and then the anti war left left when Obama came into office. The anti war left. <laughs> yeah. And, and Obama kept with the drone bombing, and and he 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 had more confirmed kills than than any other Nobel Peace Prize winner in his first year of being in office. No, I know, I know. I, I actually yeah. just had a, a a discussion with someone about that, where they were talking about how Trump was bombing this place, and I said, "Yeah, that's terrible." And I said, "You realize, like, Trump is basically on play, on pace to kill as many people as Obama did." And they were like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "This war in Syria." The war, the bombing of Libya, uh, uh, support for Saudi's uh, war in Yemen, the continuation of the the war in Afghanistan, uh, uh, the surge that never that was supposed to be followed by a drawdown that never happened, uh, you know, all of these things, you know, and, and the drone bombing of children, the fact that he joked about drone bombing children, and and this was a you know Obamacrat you know uh, 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 leftist who said. Well, I'm sure he had reasons. He probably has access to information that we don't know about and was trying to keep us safe. And I said, okay, mm -hmm. well, Trump's doing the same thing. Oh, well, Trump's a racist. Oh, <laughs> like same office, same advisors, mostly same advisors, same bureaucratic advisors. 
Uh, same war policy, same outcome, but because it's Obama doing it, clearly he had good reasons. But because Trump's doing it, clearly he's a racist. And ju- and the and the right who told me that Obama was bending over for Islam and you know Islam was taking over the world, and I'm like, Obama's killed more Muslims than any other person you can name offhand. So what's your problem? Um, and now when Trump's doing Pro- exactly probably, the same, uh, Saddam Hussein might might have him beat. Oh, I should say than any other American president uh, okay. uh, 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 killed more Muslims. And, and, you know, Trump is on pace to do the same thing. Now you're okay with it. And it's because Rush Limbaugh told you to be okay with it or Sean yeah. Hannity or, or whoever. Yeah, so, so these people, they, they don't have any well-thought-out ideology. They're cutting the end off of the ham and throwing it in the baking dish because Rush Limbaugh cuts the end off of his ham and throws right. it in and the he, baking And dish. he doesn't know why either, yeah. 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 He has no idea why. It's, it's because Bill Buckley cut the end off of his ham you know, because he was a communist. <laughs> so people have this this idea idea of what they are, and and, and they're they're not. I right. people think I I've just learned this fairly recently, but the uh, the whole conservative movement, conservatism has never been about small government. And there's there's a fellow on on Facebook that. I've had some conversations with, I almost never agree with this guy, but I, there's some points that he makes that are so spot on. And I just love the way that he writes and he puts up with my crap too. So I need, he's just a sweetheart of a guy's name is Charlie Harris. And, right. and he'll, he'll tell you, yeah, conservatism is conservatism has not never been about small government. Cause if you look at the intellectual history of conservatism, you go back to people like Thomas Hobbes and Edmund Burke, and they're not, you know, Hobbes was, we have to have the state because, you know, people are bad. Right. You know, it's so we need a government. Angels, yeah. we, so we need yeah. a government made up of people who are bad. So we need a government made up of people who are bad. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I, I love that. Uh, it's like a picture and it's the, it's the, it's that phrase, uh, yeah, people so, are bad. So we need a government made of, and it's in a perfect circle so that it just keeps going around and around. I love sharing. Yeah. I, I, that gets buried in my meme list, and I have to keep resaving it so that it's up at the top. I have so many copies of that on my phone. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you what, I, I probably have 3,000 memes on just this phone right here. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't have copies of memes. I have sock memes. Each meme has has two or three socks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't have to scroll as far to get there. Right, exactly, yeah, because it, yeah. it, you can't. It doesn't it, let you it's put complete it in nonsense on my part. Probably yours too. But anyway, exactly. so but when you look at them, it's it's nothing but a complete justification of the state, and it is not about any sort of restraint. It's about empowering the state for all these different so-called social goods. And, and quite frankly, it, a lot of it sounds like Rousseau and his social contract. But and if, if you go down the line, you know, after, after Hobbes and Burke, you have, uh, what was it? The, uh, uh, the, the, the early conservatives in America were the Tories. They I were was the just going to say they wanted yeah. to preserve the British crown. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they they were opposed to the Declaration of Independence. They were opposed to seceding from the crown. They're like, look, you might not have voted for him, but he's still your king. And you will respect him. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You don't have to like the king, but you do have to respect the crown. You have to respect the office. The uh, yeah. the, uh, the at least in the English speaking world, in the Anglospheric world, the political right comes from the Tories when the whole. You know the, the 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 battle between whether to turn Britain into a a, a republic 
that would have, you know, of the people or whatever, that would have, you know, entirely democratic with no royal family. The Tories were the ones saying, no, we need to stay royal to the, the crown. And they had religious reasons for doing it. They were Anglicans and they believed that, you know, God had given, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the had, uh, the, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 that the, the, God had, Governments were ordained by God. Ordained by God, but there's a term yeah. for it. But the the monarch, the sovereignty. Coronation. No, it's anyway, whatever. The sovereignty that the monarch had, based on yeah. divine. The lucky sperm club. Yeah, the lucky lucky sperm club. Um, and so, they came from that, and it was the 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 compromise between the the conservatives, the Tories, and the the liberals, the Republicans. Oddly enough, they were called uh, who that came up with the idea of constitutional monarchy. We still have a monarch. Uh, but they're basically a figurehead and, and we, we're basically a democracy. But but that's where, you know, conservatism came from the Tories and the Whigs. It did not, it, it was not a, a small government, you know, uh, uh, secession, uh, uh, you know, uh, insurrectional, insurrectionist group. Uh, uh, it was briefly to get rid of the British crown and then it was immediately replaced with the new crown, which was, you know, the, 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 the constitutional one. Yeah, so in, in that regard, under the Federalists, you had the you had the Revolution, and then you had the Counter Revolution with the with the uh, Constitution. Right. But the, the the whole thing about conservatism is to ensure that absolutely nothing changes, or as little as possible that changes. Right. Right. So they want to keep the the British Crown. Right. Uh, Constitution comes in, they want to keep the Constitution. They don't want it to evolve. They don't want it to change. Uh, they were opposed to Social Security, but then when it was in there, it was conserved. Yeah, and we have to conserve if it. You, yeah. If you look at the if you look at the new conservatives, like the new right, the the Bill Buckley's in in like the fifties, there was one. Um, I don't know if you listen to Dangerous History podcast. It's at profcj.org. It's called the Betrayal of the Old Right. I think it was or out with the old right, in with the new right. Mm-hmm. And he starts off with a quote by Bill Buckley, and it almost sounds like Bernie Sanders, with the exception of the calls for militarism. Right, you know? right. And and I, I guess Buckley's, uh, because they want to preserve the traditions, and, and they use the, the guise of because tried and true, but what yeah. it really is is preserving tradition for the sake of tradition is how I see it. It's um, fear of change. I, it's just yeah, fear of change. I, I guess his his phrase was, "If we could, we would stand in the in the way of history and say, stop, go back.' Yeah, standing athwart history, yelling stop yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that is the history of conservatism. This this small government, limited government stuff. That's never been an aspect of conservatism. I mean that's something that people adopted. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, the, the 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 new the new right, the neoconservatives, the Buckleyites." They were pretty much communists. They were Trotskyites. They just were anti-Soviet communists. Right. They, they were, just wanted, they were anti-Bolsheviks. Yeah. 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 yeah they, they wanted a different blend of a different brand of communism. And, and quite frankly, when you look at the nationalism and the militarism and the the idea that there must be such a national unity and that everything must be, I, I, I posted this this quote earlier. I think it was today. Uh, those that say that the country should have a direction are demanding a one-size-fits-all, cookie-cutter, coercive central plan. And quite frankly, they're no different than, different than the Bolsheviks, who said this is this will be the order of this country. And 
those that, that say that this has to happen, those that say, well, the country should have a direction. We should have people in charge. The, the best that they can hope for is that the people in charge don't F it up too horribly and that winds up like like Venezuela or the right. Soviet Union or, right. or any of these other one-size-fits-all, cookie-cutter, coercive, centrally-planned socialist utopias. Run by conservatives. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And that's, and that, and that's the thing is, is th- and that was what, what got me because I, I went from being basically the only two things that I've always been consistent on is that I've always thought that guns should be legal and largely unrestricted and that I've always thought drugs should be legal and largely unrestricted uh, uh, and untaxed and, and all of that stuff. But and sold at, in vending machines. Sold at in the in the private schools. Family dollar. I want, I, and I've said this before. People should be able to get automatic thermonuclear grenade launchers from their toddler's heroin dealer. Exactly. Exactly. So, and if you're against well, that, then don't do it. Um, but or, um, or from the gay couple that defends their marijuana field with AK-47s. I'm fine with that as well. And again, and if you're against that, then don't do it yourself. Um, but, uh, one of the things that Grenadist. I, what? Grenadist. Grenadist, exactly. Um, one of the things that, and both sides do this as well, it, it seems like in order to be able to justify hatred, basically, uh, is that you have to dehumanize the other side or whatever it is you hate. Uh, and we've seen this with, you know, with the Nazis, they had school books for school children that compared Jews to, to funguses and to, uh, into rats, and it sort of dehumanized Jews in their mind. In the U.S., it's a big thing to dehumanize. The left dehumanizes the rich in a huge way. They dehumanize the rich. They dehumanize increasingly white, you know, males, cis males, cisgender males, uh, uh, and and Christians as an as an aggregate. Uh, the, the the right likes to dehumanize illegals, and uh, and and to some extent Muslims as well. And 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 now you're seeing direct dehumanization of people based on just their partisanship. So you're seeing, you know, ever since the the election of Donald Trump, everyone on the the left, I see it all the time, and I get lumped in too because I'm I'm against government, so people think I'm I'm a conservative. I can't tell you how many times I've been accused of being a Russian bot. I'm not a real person. I'm a Russian bot. A very simple look at my Facebook profile shows I'm a human being. I have a wife. There's pictures of me with kids. But I'm a Russian bot. Uh, and and the right now is is has has these memes which I can't help but find hilarious. Uh, NPCs, the non-playable characters. Mm-hmm. They're saying the left aren't real people. They're not protagonists. They're NPCs. Da What's that? Da tovarish. Yeah, and and so expression I just, for yes, comrade. Yeah, exactly. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. This you know how people are so quick to. It's like. Oh, you disagree with me. You're not a real person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the dehumanization has always existed through for war. Right, it's always been a part of the propaganda. Of course, if, if you look at going back to Nazi Germany, the the term Untermenschen, yeah. uh, less than human or lesser men, uh, and that also was applied. Pamela just brought this. So blacks have been dehumanized for over 400 years here oh, in the absolutely. USSA. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing about slavery was they were considered not humans. And that was a justification for doing it. Or there were laws that no slave could or no, no Christian could be enslaved. So they prohibited slaves from being Christians. Right. And I, but think about this. 
all the racism that that goes into defining the enemy. I mean, in in Vietnam, you had the they were gooks, slopes, chinks. I mean, just every, every other Asian slur under the, under the uh, mm. under the stars. Yeah, over yep. in uh, over in the Middle East is Dune Coon, sand N word, and all this other crap. Right, right. And but in in the PC culture of today, they don't have as much of it. So uh, you got to go with the the standard traditional towel head or camel jockey because I, I guess that's still allowed. But in in war, you have to dehumanize the enemy. Uh, the my my biggest catalyst to not to uh, to giving up my bloodlust and my love of war was the war prayer by uh, Mark Twain. And what he does is he talks about what is, what is going to happen. And he wrote that in the lead up to the Spanish American War. And because he knew the response that he would get afterwards you know after publishing it he said that this can't be published until after i'm dead because the the people will freak out they'll they'll call for his blood and he had a lot of he had a lot of great anti-war writings but the whole story behind the the war prayer is you have the small town and they're preparing to send their boys off to go fight for for god and country and they have the parades and the music, and of course you have the church service and the, and the preachers at the pulpit. And he says, "Dear Lord, you know, please protect our boys out there and and make their make their bullets fly straight and 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 do this and do that and all sort of stuff." And this old man who looks like a rag picker goes up to the pulpit and gently moves the the preacher aside. And he says, "I was sent by the." by the man that you have prayed to. He has heard your prayer, both of them. When you say that you want, when you say that your soldiers' bullets should shoot straight, it will be granted. The bullets will cut through the flesh of the young men, widowing their wives and orphaning their children. Right. The shells will fire true, and their villages will burn, and the survivors will freeze to death in the snow. And that is the reality of war. And that, after hearing that, I could not unhear it. Right. And every time that I started to get my neoconish ways up and like, yeah, get those those Arabs and 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 kill and them all. Let, let God let God sort them out and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I could not unhear it. I, I kept going back to those words, and that is when the morality of anarchism and being anti-state came into play right because i i've i've seen what happens to people through war i've seen the results on if if it's as bad for the winning side the american side then just imagine what it's like for people in the middle east a a guy has a has a tour in afghanistan and gets ptsd what do you think happens to somebody that lives there that's and 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 they have a lifelong they have a lifelong combat tour because they have a foreign invader that's occupying and going through and kicking in doors like a SWAT team looking for a civil asset forfeiture. Yeah. Here's one for you. Do you think that, that the current number of 20 veterans committing suicide each day is because they feel that they feel pride in what they've done to defend God and country? Yeah. And the yeah. reason I say the, 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 
current 20 is because the number has gone down. The acknowledged number was 22. But the thing that you have to remember is that is only based upon reporting and not all states report the same way. And there, there, there might be cases where a veteran commits suicide and it just doesn't get reported because of some bureaucratic snafu. But that's not really the big deal because not all of those veterans are combat veterans that are committing suicide. Right, 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 right. Right. But the number that you do want to pay attention to is the current acknowledged 22 active duty service members today that are killing themselves. They're yep. committing suicide either over there or after they've just come back or if they're on their way to go over there. Yeah. Why are they doing it? It's obviously, I mean, there are going to be people that they would have killed themselves anyway. But if you're presenting this as, you know, there's this very unique thing of active duty, well, why? Why are they killing themselves? And what what is it that they're seeing and taking part in that they, and that they know that they can't get out of because they signed a contract saying they have to? Um, you know, what what are what is it that they're seeing? And then on the flip side of that, what do you think the suicide rate is in the places that they're being bombed? And, and you know... I, I I can't imagine everyone there is like, yeah, I, you know, I'm real excited to live today. I'm sure the suicide rate is through the roof there as well. Uh, the ones that haven't been killed. So, I mean, it's that, that whole, and, and I'll talk to people, people I love and care about people who will ask me how my dog's doing. And then I'll talk to them about this and you see it happen. They're like, well, you know, they, they want us dead. They hate our freedoms. They support such and such. They want to have nukes, whatever it is, and you see it happen. These people that are, you know, hyper-concerned about the people around them and, and that are, you know, care about the humanity of people have so dehumanized these human beings who have every bit as much hopes and dreams and loves and fears and whatever that we do and are just as much of an of a, a important thing to someone else, they're ready for the whole region, millions of people, to be nuked. Because they dared to insult Israel or, you know, they, they want to also well, they have didn't nuclear... dare to insult. Allegedly, their, their politicians their, Yeah, their, their, their politician insulted Israel or their politicians also want to have the same nuclear weapons that our politicians have had since our grandparents were kids. And they've completely dehumanized them. And now we're seeing it in a domestic level where they're dehumanizing the Democrats or the Republicans. And I, I, I bring all this up to say, this is all the, these are the fruits of forced association. The, the reality is none of us would voluntarily associate with the vast majority of other people on this in the continent or in this country for various reasons. They don't share our values. They aren't in our social strata. Uh, we don't have the same religious beliefs. It's not to say we couldn't be around them, but we're not going to associate closely with them. And yet we're all forced to be in a very close association where we're all robbed uh, of our wealth. The remainder of our wealth is, is depleted through, you know, our currency being made more and more uh, worthless. Uh, we are forced to, um, you know, obey the same laws. We're forced to, we're forced into this, you know, basically hostage situation together. And we're told that we are allowed to vote for and against one another to see who basically who gets the short end of the stick and who gets the long end of the stick. So people that we already wouldn't have associated to begin with, we're now in basically warfare in the ballot box for, you know, who gets harmed the most and who gets harmed the least. 
And so our aggression and our, our discontent with our situation is channeled passive aggressively through voting to harm people for the simple fact that we don't like them. And it's mm -hmm. war on a domestic scale. And what's even worse is you're getting giant turd and hunk of poo and right, being exactly. told that you have a choice. Right, exactly, exactly. And it, it's not a choice. It, it is far from a choice. But so long as you're arguing over wanting giant turd over hunk of poo, then you are doing what what is what is allowable. That's the allowable opinion. And so long as you're so long as you're not saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't have any poo or turds <laughs> running around. That because that's when it gets dangerous. When yeah. you start talking about there should be no turds or poo in my life. And they don't like that. That's when you get deplatformed. Yes. That's when your page gets taken down. That's when your page gets taken down is when you say that, you know, I don't want any more scat play. Um, yeah. So, but let's get to a larger point here. I, I, I think we've already talked about how the, the social justice warrior and the cultural justice warriors are, right. are kissing cousins of collectivism. Right. Now, and we've already touched on the subject that you could show somebody facts, logic, and, and reality. And as soon as you do that, they will click refresh, go back to their default setting, and go back with their original programming. Right. So what that tells me is, because let's think about this. How many people have you convinced that the state was wrong, that it was immoral, that it was illegitimate, and that it was, I mean, you shouldn't have too much trouble with the brutal inefficiency, but nobody's going to say, well, gosh, we got to give that up. You know, when, when Ronald Reagan said, the government does nothing as effective as the private market, what he should have followed that up was, and that, that is a reason to abolish government completely. Right, right, right. But what would have happened had he said that? I mean, most people would have absolutely freaked out, lost their minds. Republicans would have been, would have been, waving their flag really hard, saying, "No, no, no! We're not giving up this inefficient thing because my constitution, my founding fuhrers, and and, right. and everything right. else." Exactly. So, how can you have a logical conversation with the average status? By the way, I've got a fair number of people that have told me that I've played a significant role in their in the changing of their mindset it's it's nowhere near to create a movement right right but i mean, I've, I've had a fair number of people that have said that i've been influential well i'm also i'm also kind of public too having done a nationally syndicated radio show and and other stuff right yeah i've had a few people that are that are anarchists now in part at least because of mm -hmm. talking with them i have a lot of people who I've gotten to admit that, you know, government is is morally bad, but they then fall back to, but they have to protect us from illegals, or they have to protect us from Muslims, or you know, they're a necessary evil, or um, you know, people aren't good, or a lot of times I've gotten people that'll say, well, we can't get rid of this part of government until we get rid of insurance companies and and you know run all over us so they don't let go of you know this one thing or they'll say you know just in general well you know people aren't good or whatever um so i get a lot of that but i mean I, i've changed some minds but most people 
are and then for all of those there's way more people that have just either unfriended me or unfollowed me or told me i'm crazy and you know that i need to read romans 11 or romans 13 or whatever crap they come up with um and uh you know so yes no most people don't want to change their mind they have an emotional tie to this belief that the government that they hate uh is going to uh you know is necessary to protect them from the bad people yeah, I, could you imagine like some pro Second Amendment conservative looking at the video of the cops going in confiscating guns and Katrina saying, "Look, did you just see Nancy Pelosi go in there and take those people's guns?" Right, right. Or if you say, "No, that's not Nancy Pelosi; those those are cops." Well, the Democrats made them do it. Well, they're doing it, but the Democrats, but they're doing it. Yeah. But but no, they're not. Yeah. No, they're yeah. not. Yeah. Those are Democrats in cop uniforms. Yeah. And yeah. they will come. They will come up with mental gymnastics that not even the East German judge can give them a bad score. Now, when, when people start talking about what, what you're talking about is an emotional response that, that lacks logic. I'm talking about the I'm going to talk about the people that are incrementalists, the ones that say that everything has, you know, everything has to be taken down slowly because uh, it'll be it'll be anarchy if there isn't. And now now. It's a fact that if Social Security disappeared tomorrow, whether it dried up on its own or whether the government collapsed and it was there, no, it was no longer there. That would be a problem for a lot of people that did not plan accordingly. For oh, those absolutely, that, it would be a for, huge travesty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For those that for those that believed that Social Security was going to take care of them, it would be a crisis. Yeah. But so when. But when you have these measured reductions, uh, are you familiar with Robert Higgs' book, Crisis and Leviathan? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Okay. Uh, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read some excerpts from it. And the, the central theme in there is that crisis has always been the the uh, catalyst for growth in government. That is why government has has increases power at high pace or high speed and, and large amounts at given times because of the crisis and that crisis is usually war so right. if you look at if you look at post 9 11 uh the yep. patriot act was was rushed through nobody had time to look at the cover or anything else and and quite frankly the patriot act had been around for quite a while and they were waiting for an opportunity to whip it out and this just happened to be it but the thing is you know they talked about how this was going to fight terrorism and one of the first publicly acknowledged uses of the Patriot Act for, like, uh, racketeering and funding of terrorism was taking down a good fellow strip joint in Jersey. No, Yeah, no, I know, I know, yep. Yeah, so... Had nothing to do with terrorism. Yeah, so when, when somebody says, well, we need, to, we need to get troops on the borders and all this other stuff, my question will be, one of my questions, along with, so how do you, how do you think the Affordable... Border Control Act is going to work. One of the things I'll ask is, can you name a government program that maintained its original scope and didn't engage in mission creep? Because right. I, let's, let's face it, the, the bureaucrats that administer these programs, they're just creeps on a mission. Exactly. So, yep. so anyway, what you have is you have these increases in power, always because of a crisis and usually because of war. And after the crisis has been averted, you never go back to the to the ante. You never go back to where you started. It's always bigger than it was when it started. Yeah, yeah. 
So if you're at level five and it goes up to 10, you never get back to five. The oh. best you can hope for is six or seven. Yeah. And then it, it ramps up again. And it goes yeah. from six or seven to 10 or 11. And then it goes down to, down to like eight or nine. Right. The trend is upwards. It, it may yes. do one of the, it may ebb and flow, but the trend that ebb and flow is working, working its way upwards. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so my argument here, and I'm going to go with uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who was an abolitionist and talking about, talking about the incremental re- reduction of slavery to a point that it would eventually be gone. Gradualism in theory is perpetuity in practice. For the for the po- people that use the, the the incrementalism strategy, incre- incremental incrementalism is a one way street to tyranny. They always say, "Well, the government didn't get big overnight; it's not going to get small overnight." Well, it's not going to get small over the long period either. Yeah. yeah. Even even when Coolidge, even when Harding and Coolidge were were at the helm. In some in some areas, government got smaller, but in some areas, government got bigger. It got bigger, and, yeah. And the long term effects of government getting bigger under their reign are probably just as devastating as government getting bigger after Hoover and FDR and FDR. Truman and all these others right. took over. Well, that's another reason why you can't depend upon politics to reduce the size of government. Right. No, absolutely. And, and you're not, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, Americans for, for Liberty and young, uh, young Americans for Liberty and the, the, you know, all, all these different groups and, Camp, and campaign for a tiny bit more Liberty. Yeah. All, all these groups. I don't, that baseball. What's that? Okay. I was at a campaign for a tiny bit more Liberty event in Michigan, down in the Detroit area a few years ago. Okay. And I was talking to the heads of the local chapter, and they were talking about because they're all activists. Uh, they and they weren't really in, they weren't in, deeply involved in politics, like they weren't on staff or anything like that. And they're they're listing all the activists that got involved in politics, like became the staff members on for different politicians. And they're talking about the different activists in the Tea Party that wound up getting. Uh, little patronage positions through through the state government and through the party and everything else right and and they're talking about a hundred percent of the activists and, and they named some people that I knew they said one hundred percent of the act- activists within one year of going to d c or going to the state capitol or whatever once they got into the belly of the beast, every last one of them sold out yep. And I says, well, how about the politicians that you guys have, have endorsed? And with the with the exception of Ron Paul, and, and Ron Paul's no angel, and he, he's just a man, and he's not worthy, worthy of deification. Right. But uh, all the politicians that they had, well, they didn't really endorse, but they rated all the politicians that they gave good ratings to sold out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, electric- and I, I, I used to be involved in, in the political process and campaigns and stuff like that. And people say, well, we're going to make the change at the local level. The local level is so much more cutthroat than the national level because you, at the national level, there's a lot of power to fight over. At the local level, it's scraps. Yeah. And when you have scraps of power, they will fight more fiercely for that little bit. 
Well, and they see it as a stepping stone to, you know, regional, state, yeah. federal. You know, I mean, they, they, so yeah. they're they're fighting for. You know, it's like using that comparison of the of the the fighters when they're working their way up the ranks to become champion. Their hardest fights are when they're you know at the at the where they're not even being televised yet because they're just trying to get a foothold into you know being able to do those bigger things. So yeah, absolutely. I, I any good that's coming from those types of ad, advocacy is solely in educating people as to why they should want to be free. And for not just for them to be free, but for others to be free. I've, I was influenced by Ron Paul. I was influenced by, you know, uh, uh, um, the Koch brothers and, and Young Americans for Liberty and the, uh, uh, what is it, the um, Enterprise. Uh, American Enterprise Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things have been helpful, and, and the von Mises caucus and the, and now. For... And they're all they're all distractions. The one thing that I absolutely positively hate about Ron Paul, and a little bit just Amash too, because okay. I mean, is, is, those are probably my my most favorite government thugs. And I, I've met Justin at least on one occasion. But anyway. The, the the thing that I absolutely positively hate about them is they've given people so much false hope in the process. Because let's take a look at what's going to happen in politics. And I was recently at Agora Fest over in South Dakota. It, it's the Minneapolis folks go out there. Okay. And I had, I had this conversation with one of the guys there, and, and, and he kind of wants, wants to be involved. He thinks the LP can do things and stuff like that. But here, here's the here's the big thing. How are you planning on getting something accomplished? Because I, I was, there, there's a, a a Jack Ryan book uh, by Tom Clancy. I think it's Dead of Honor, where he winds up being the vice president to fill in for the vice president that had to resign. So he he gets asked to take this position, you know, be a caretaker for a few months until the election, and they can find somebody else. And a plane takes out the the. Uh, U.S. Capitol during a joint session, and near, basically, you only have the designated survivors there. The uh, executive branch is wiped out. The the Supreme Court is wiped out. The darn near everybody in the House and Senate are wiped out. Like like I said, it's the designated survivor scenario, okay. where they've got the sec, where they've got the sec under secretary of of uh, fish and hogs, right? You know, outside. But he had just been sworn in as vice president, and because he had been sworn in as vice president, he becomes president. So in that particular situation where you've eliminated almost the entire Congress, you have an opportunity at a fresh start. And I I was actually, because I believe that government was a necessity at the time, I'm thinking, hey, wow, here's a great opportunity in, in the way that he wrote it. I, I think it eventually went back to being the 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 cesspool, the Moss Eisley of of planet Earth that it is. Right. But I he he tried to show it at, in a good light, and it it didn't go bad. It just went government. But anyway, right. so here, here's what you have to look at. And I was talking to this guy, and he says, "You know, well, can you go in at the local level and and, and do all this stuff?" I said, "Well, here's here's what you have to figure. If the Libertarian Party gets in there." They're going to need some support. You're going to need bipartisan support, or you're going to need people to work across the aisle. Unless, for somehow or another, you get everybody to embrace libertarian ideals, which means that the that the elderly have to vote against Medicare and Social Security spending. 
parents and teachers have to vote against education spending. Police and military have to vote against crime in, in, in defense spending. Right. Everybody has to vote against their interests. Or, in other words, every, all these selfish people have to quit putting their own interests ahead of the good of the nation. Right. Okay. You see where I'm going with this, Which right? is what's required for communism to work. I mean, any, any of right. these things require people to let go of their own self-interest and give to the common good. Yeah, if, if you give up a little bit, and if if you live in squalor, then that means that there could be an equality of squalor. And right. and I'm sorry, people aren't doing that on right. their own. Right. And the old phrase that once people find out that they can vote for their living, they will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's come true. So what you're looking at is okay, you're a libertarian, and you want to. You want to get cannabis legalization, and you want to legalize the tax it and regulate it. So you don't want real freedom. You you want freedom light. You want sort of free. You want licensing. Yeah, you want a license. Yeah, you want permission, not not actual freedom. You want permission. So you go over to your Democratic comrades and say, "Hey, I can really use your support on this." You know what? I really like that. I could use your support on something too. Could you right. boost up? Could you help me with this increase in food stamps? Because there's a lot of hungry people out there, and, and they're just not able to eat. And the response is going to be, well, I'm a libertarian. My constituency elected me to reduce welfare spending and legalize cannabis. And the Democrat will say, well, my constituency yeah. is concerned about hungry children eating and going to bed with a full belly at night. How can How can I support you if you don't do a little give and take and you have this little thing that's called compromise and and people always say uh the pragmatic ones say that you have to compromise and to compromise means to give up something that you already have in order to keep something that you already have right or to give up something that you already have in order to get something back that you had before you compromised the previous time right and it works the same with the Republicans. You know, you, you go to them and say, hey, you know, how about this cannabis legalization? Well, you know what? The Police Officers Association of the state, I don't think that they would support me going right. for that. Right. So, the only, so the only way that we could do that is if there's a very high tariff on or very high tax, which goes directly to police spending, uh, maybe send it over to, uh, over to education. And we're going to need stiff penalties for people that violate the regulations because, well, you know what? The prison guard unions are, are my supporters also. Right, right. Well, that's not freedom. I mean, we're, we're not trying to turn this into the medical market. We're, we're trying to decrease the size of government. Well, we are decreasing the size of government. Look at this balloon that I have in my hand. See how I squeeze it? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what happens. So that's what compromise is. And, but if you talk about this needs to be fully decriminalized and no, it shouldn't be taxed. No, it shouldn't be regulated. And after it's decriminalized, a bunch of cops are going to need to get laid off because we can't afford to pay those government employees pensions and healthcare yeah. and benefits and wages and all this other stuff is too bloated and people will freak out. And when you start talking about actual freedom, when you start talking about solving problems, 
is so far outside of the Overton window that the average person is like somebody in 1890 that sees an automobile for the first time. They look at this iron carriage and they say, well, that's a pretty fancy wagon you got there. Uh, what? I, I see you got a bumper up there and, hey, how do you attach the horse to that thing? Right. Well, right. You, you don't you don't attach a horse to it. You pop the hood, you show them the engine and you say, and say, this is what makes it go. And they look at the engine. They say, well, I bet that makes that thing really heavy. I think you're going to need a second horse. How are you going to get two horses on there? I can't even see how you attach the first horse. No, no, you don't have horses. You go inside, you turn on the ignition and they, they look at the seats and they say, does the horse ride in here? And right. and all this time you're, you're talking about something completely new and they're just wondering what the horse has to do with this thing. And it goes back to what Henry Ford said. And this is why you can't trust voters either. Henry Ford said, if I'd asked the people what they wanted, they just said they wanted faster horses because they just couldn't conceive of a automobile. Right. And the problem with, with voters and politicians is you leave your future. You have to live your life and your prosperity is dependent upon the limits of other people's imaginations, the limits of people with small minds. Yep. Exactly. So I'm going to go anti, I'm going to go anti Bastiat here. And the weight of prosperity is by breaking Overton windows, shattering them. So what, what is your, uh, Hang on for a second. Pamela asked, what is the Overton window? The Overton window is the the limits of allowable public opinion. As an example, I I said this earlier, with uh, tax rates, excuse me. When you're talking about tax rates, saying that there shouldn't be any taxes is outside the Overton window. That means you're just absolutely crazy and you want children to be uneducated and and old people to die. So what you can argue about is if the top tax rate should be 34% or 36%, because at 37%, you're a communist and at 33%, you're an anarchist. Right. So it's basically the allowable opinion. You, yep. you can't go outside of that. Anything outside of that is considered extremism. And all, all of the work of, of political lobbying uh, and advocacy is to try to move that window closer to what you actually really want. And so there's a, this jockeying of position to try to move it this way while arguing for this. You're also trying to move it over to where it's actually you know closer to what you want. Whereas what we're saying is screw the Overton window, we're just going to say what it is we want. And, and and Pamela sees it on my page. I say things and people come on and lose their minds because I'm challenging their God. I'm challenging oh, yeah, their idol. Absolutely. I'm challenging their idol. And I have zero interest in talking about, well, maybe we could do this and then extend. No, this is wrong. This is morally wrong. And if you're going to sit here and tell me this is what you support, now explain to me how you would also be in favor of you know, uh, of, of, you know, chattel slaves being forced to go back to be to be mastered because that was illegal. Or, you know, if you're OK with this tax, explain to me. Uh, one of my actually really good friends uh, uh, was was challenging me on taxes and she was explaining why taxation is not theft. And, you know, it's a society and everything else. And I said, OK, I can't if I go to your house and rob you. I'm assuming you're against that. Uh, and if uh, if I I'll further assume that if I come to your house 
with a group of 10 people and say, give me your money or I'll kill you. Uh, but we're going to use some of it to help the poor. But give me your money or I'll kill you. You'd be against that as well. I will assume that. I also I know based on what you're saying that you're okay with the federal government, the let's say three, three and a half million people that are a part of the federal government being involved in basically coming to your house and saying, give me your money or I'll kill you. You're okay with that. So explain to me um, where that where somewhere between 10 and three and a half million is where an immoral act suddenly becomes moral. Where is that line? Is it 10,000? Is it 100,000? Is it a million? And she and she never responded. Um, but it's it's because I'm refusing to operate within their you know their three and a half inch flashcard or their or their or their their Overton window and 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 Lou does the same thing. This is wrong. We're saying it's wrong. And if you're going to say it's right, explain why it's right. You know the, the burden's on you. You've come to me to tell me this thing is right. I've explained how it's wrong. Now explain to me how it's right. And they don't because they're they, no one ever challenges them to do that. They challenge them to say. Tell me why the tax rate should be X instead of Y, and and that becomes a you know a jockeying over how much money is needed to fund different things or, or whether you know whether this many immigrants should be allowed in or this many or, or or whether we should bomb this country or just sanction them. It, it's never about no. They shouldn't be doing any of that. If taxation without consent is not robbery, then any band of robbers have only to declare themselves a government and all their robberies are legalized. Exactly. I wanna I wanna lay out this Lysander Spoon, by the way. Yeah. I wanna lay out a very important point here. when you say taxation is theft and somebody says, But my roads Right. Or what about you know, how would people get educated? How would this happen? What how would the poor be taken care of or the old be taken care of? Those are not arguments against taxation being theft. What those are is rationalizations for theft. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're arguing for necessity or maybe even uh, efficiency right. in their minds. But, but they never actually say arguing, it's not theft. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. What they're not saying is that taxation is not theft. They're just saying that's necessary. And they're also showing the, the limits of their imagination. And, and Steve had chimed in here just a couple minutes ago. Uh, she says, like I said before, no imagination and laziness. Freedom takes us doing everything ourselves and, and being in, ingenuitive. And this is what you get out of the communists. Uh, they, they talk about seizing the means of production. Yep. Well, the, the the thing about seizing the means of production is once you seize them, you actually have to produce. <laughs> and and the, the, the people that talk about the, the uh, worker-owned co-ops, you know, they, they, they want to be worker owners. Uh, they're focus, focusing more on the owner part and less on the worker part because they want to sit around. They, they envision the owners as the people that sit around and do nothing. Exactly. And quite frankly, you know, a lot of these companies, especially when they're getting started, these are people that are putting in 16, 18-hour days that have a pillow and blanket in their office on a lumpy couch. Yeah, exactly. And it's a lumpy couch so that they'll only sleep for a couple hours and then go back to taking a look at things. And there's been numerous of the numerous of these uh, factory owners that have done that yeah. because that was what was necessary. But if you look at the, the history of prosperity, the history of prosperity has not come from decrees because it is, as uh, was in, I believe is in the trial for uh, Sir Thomas More in uh, the book of man for all seasons, I believe his opening statement at trial was if the earth is flat, can the King declare it to be round? If it's round, can a, declaration of parliament make it flat again right and stuff doesn't happen simply because 
Because you told someone to, yeah. Because, yep. because somebody says it is. Prosperity doesn't come into existence because because politicians declare somebody prosperous. And people are stupid enough to believe that it does and that it can happen. And they have this notion that if you steal from one, then, well, that person had an, had more than they needed. But they I mean, they get this crap in school. But the whole laziness thing comes from, I want to I want to have all this stuff and I want to do as little to get it. But I, I think I already said this uh, with uh, Frederick Douglass. And you can't expect the crops to grow if you don't if you don't uh, agitate the soil and dig and all that other crap. Right. I, I'm really butchering his quotes tonight. So I, he's got some really good ones. But right. Anyway, another politician, another one of your favorite government thugs. Frederick Douglass? Yeah, he was an elected official. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he was a congressman. <sighs> he was a Republican congressman. Oh, God. <laughs> so anyway, but the thing is, if you look at the, 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 the history of human progress, the with, with the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, that is when humans... And especially here in America, went from from subsistence living to being prosperous. And, and right. today, the, the poor people of today are better off than the wealthy in some of these other countries. Oh yeah, and yeah. and the reason the reason they they got that way is because of the productivity that's happened over the years. People talk about how technology is taking jobs away. You know, there were people that thought that the internet was gonna, you know, the they're not. Maybe not the internet. The internet turned out to be an economic boom, even though Paul Krugman had said that by 2005 we would find out that the internet was was no more a factor on the economy than the, fax, the machine. fax machine. Right. He right, said right. that in the 90s, but I, Paul Krugman he said that in the he said that in the late 90s. He didn't yeah. say that in 94. He said that in like 1998 or 99. Who in 99 thought the internet was not going to be impactful to the economy? Well, Paul Krugman is an expert in things that are wrong. But anyway, (laughs) if you look at automation, what what automation did was the productive ability, the the ability of fewer people to do more, took children out of the workplace. People weren't working. Children weren't in, in factories and working on the farms because their parents hated them and, and thought that they should suffer. Right. No, it was because their labor was necessary to get the job done and because they could not be productive enough on their own to support themselves. And there's been a universal truth even to this day where you still have child labor in the, in the third world countries. Right. And going and implementing child labor laws in a place that's not productive enough to take children out of the workforce is sentenced to being sold into sex slavery for exactly, these kids. Exactly, exactly. Bangladesh within the past 20 years. Yep, yep. But the thing is, automation and, and the technology keeps getting better and better. It, it doesn't destroy jobs. It frees people up to do other things. It used to be that with... Uh, with agriculture that like 90% of the population worked in agriculture because that's what they had to do. Cause they had to, because they had to just to be able to have enough food to live. Yeah. Yeah. And could you, could you imagine tending your farm with rickety hand tools? I'm I'm not even talking about the fancy stuff you get at home Depot. I'm talking about the stuff that your neighbor builds for you. Cause he kind of knows about these things. Right, 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 right. Or where you have a mule pulling a, pulling a rickety plow. I, could you imagine how many how, how much back injuries were reduced because they had tractors? Yeah. I, quite frankly, the the only 
real risk of getting a back injury from modern tractors is if you jump off of there and land improperly. Right, right, right. But and, and technology creates technology creates new real. I mean, look at this. I have a freaking TV show that anyone on earth can watch with an internet connection, and I'm connected with you, who is like a thousand plus miles away, and we're both. You know, I don't know what you've got. I've got less than like, even including my laptop, which I already had to begin with. I've got less than like thirteen hundred bucks, twelve thirteen hundred bucks in the, in this whole thing, and I'm able to have a TV show of decent quality. That is, you know, I'm able to do at will uh, and and show to anyone. That wasn't true even five years ago. And it was 20, not even something. 20 years ago, you had to go down to the local cable company and get on public access. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I've done a I've done a nationally syndicated radio show. Well, actually, it's, it's more than just national because we were. We we've been streamed on a, a on a few uh, networks outside of the U.S. Okay. and then also on uh, some pirate stations too. But but the thing is, I I've done a syndicated network radio show from my guest room slash recording studio. Right, 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 slash right. hobby room. Yeah, and that's all because of technology from the market. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it it used to be where radio hosts would have to get in their car, go to the station, and do all these things. And, and quite frankly, everything's getting easier. It requires less arduous labor. It requires less time working to be able to do all these different things than it did 10, 20, and especially 100 years ago. Oh, yeah, not even a, no comparison then. Yeah. So, so here's a thought. People look at things the way that they are, but not the way that they could be. So as an example, uh, we, we talked about the war on drugs earlier, and people associate the gang warfare with drugs and not prohibition. Could you imagine if there was no prohibition? It had, had the, for some reason or another, it just not, it, it just didn't happen. Right. Could you imagine people trying to talk about the, the violence in Chicago or any of these other places? Right. Right. And there'd be right. no violence to talk about. Now, now let's take a step further. Uh, let's say that you did not have a monopolized money. Let's say you had a commodity-based money and you didn't have legal tender laws. And people chose good money. I, let, let, let's say uh, Europe, Europe, back in the 80s is a prime example. The Italian lira was, was just garbage. The East German mark was garbage. A lot, a lot of people wouldn't even accept the East German mark. Same with the lira, for that matter. But everybody accepted the German mark because it was a, it was a strong currency right. over there. Right. So imagine you don't have legal tender laws and you have uh, all these different competing currencies, or you just have a couple cu- currencies. Right. And every time one screws up, another one pops up to take its place. Now, just imagine if if the currency that you use is junk, okay? It's the Italian lira or the Mexican peso right? or the East German mark, and, and you go and you want to buy something. But people won't take it because it loses value. Right. It's not going to be worth anything tomorrow. Or right, exactly. it's or it's not usable. So what happens is that drives that currency out of the market. That currency would go out of business. But let's say you have a strong currency, and because the money supply is kept at a steady level and it's not inflated, you know, the, the purchasing power stays. Or better yet, it's a over time, it's a deflationary currency. 
because the gains in productivity always lead to lower costs. I mean, look, look at consumer electronics today. I, I remember when the when the first uh, DVD players came out, I had a uh, Toshiba single tray. And the only thing it played was regular DVDs and music CDs. It wouldn't do uh, burnable DVDs. Well, burnable DVDs didn't even exist yet. I don't right. even think that burnable CDs existed yet. They may have, but anyway. Right. And it would only play one. You can't even get that DVD player today. I they throw that DVD player in when you buy like a, a twelve pack of Energizer batteries. That's how low rent it is. Right, right, right. But, right. but the thing is that that was a four hundred dollar DVD player. Yeah. If you go by normal inflation today, that should probably be about seven hundred dollars. But you can buy a DVD player that's ten times better and does more for half of the price for two hundred right. bucks. Right, and it's reaching a point with technology that DVD players aren't even necessary anymore because you can stream in you know 4K now. So I mean, it, it's in 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 a less than 25 year period, DVDs have gone from being new to the market to being obsolete. And, and I mean, and it's it's because consumer electronics and also furniture is another one that pricing has gone down relative to value over over the last 20, 30 years. These are markets that are not as heavily regulated, not as heavily taxed and 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 feed uh, and not as heavily subsidized as other markets. And as a result, you're getting an, an increasing, you know, uh, value to cost ratio. Then you look at other markets like healthcare, like uh, uh, education, school books. These are things where the uh, value to cost ratio continues to plummet because of, of central planning. And and to top it off, one of the biggest excuses for the the high price in uh, healthcare is attributed to new technology, and it's not really new technology; yeah. it's improvements on previous technology. If if technology was was the reason for higher prices, then consumer electronics would would be higher prices too. It would coincide because it's the same thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so. He, here we are. Imagine we're in a stateless society. We have good money because the consumer demand says that the money must be good. Right. Uh, people aren't people aren't going to take crap coin. You know, Do- Dogecoin would never be a standard currency. Uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stuff like that. Stable currencies would be in market demand, and we see this in cryptocurrency. I mean, yep. there's there's altcoins out there that you know they're considered tokens. They're they're, they're like uh, the old pogs. Right, they're like uh, Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I no, nobody cares about. Them. Nobody will accept them. Right. But the, through the through the cryptocurrency, you have the spontaneous orders. It's not even regulated. It's Nobody's, not regulated at all. Yeah. Yes. Nobody, nobody has regulated Bitcoin as the predominant one, or Ethereum, or any of this other stuff. No. no. And, and quite frankly, to see what's happening there, yeah. And and not to mention. The, the people that invested in Bitcoin or, or, heck, even just the people that were users of Bitcoin that had a lot of Bitcoin on hand because they had used it when it first came out. Right. And, you know, stuff came in, stuff came out. And do you know how many of, of people from our group of sorts are millionaires now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nobody knew it was going to happen. I mean, I'm right. sure there's probably a few people that suspected it, but nobody could say conclusively that this was going to happen. So, no, of course. So, but but follow me on this. When you have when you have good currency that doesn't lose value, and as a matter of fact, it gains purchasing power over time. 
Right. What you've done is you've reduced your need to work hard. And that's why you can retire earlier. That's why retirement exists in the first place, because the need to work hard, the, the productivity that you could have early on would be enough to take care of you for your entire life. Where at one time, you just couldn't be productive enough. The average person couldn't do it. And it wasn't Social Security that, that saved them. It was the increases in productivity. Right. It's the reason why we don't need to work 16-hour days or 12 And why we don't days. have to work until we drop dead one day. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, right. Yeah, exactly. But this stuff didn't happen overnight. And the, the, the people today, like the, the discussions that we're having today, I doubt if we invented anything tonight. All these ideas that we're sharing have come about from somebody else. Granted, oh, yeah. we're changing a lot of the stuff around to, to go with the times. And we may be we may be saying words that have never been said, but the ideas behind those words are not new. We stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. Yep. But because of the work of those that came before us, we have to work less today. Yep. And because we work because we work today, people of tomorrow will have to work less. Yep. Exactly. And that is and that is the order of things. And when you have the, the when, when when you have building upon the work of others and you're able to build upon the work of others, that is where prosperity comes from. So people have this this notion of socialism is going to provide this stuff. No, socialism isn't going to provide anything because nobody's working. Right. I'm quite frankly, the people that I know that are socialists or communists, all but one of them are lazy dirtbags that won't lift a finger that I know personally. Yeah, they don't do anything. I don't think I know any actual, especially like the, the anarcho-socialists or anarcho... They're like, they're losers. Like, they don't... I mean, I, I think there's one I know that has a small business, but like, they aren't really doing anything with their lives. And so... They're, they have this concept of we're going to seize product, and then what? You're going to ruin that too. Like, I mean, you know, you what are you doing? What are you doing I've, with what you have? I've been out to a couple of ANCOM uh, communes, and I mean, those people, I don't know who's reminding them to keep breathing, but I mean, they're about as sharp as a sack of wet mice, right? And they're and they're all filthy. I, they 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 think of soap and water like they think of work. They don't want nothing to do with either one. Right, right. Yeah, I, Fil filthy, it, stinking capital uh, communists didn't come out of nowhere like that. that yeah, I, that, that. It, and it's it's not just like a couple people, one group, or just one group. It's it, it's a common trend. Yeah, it is. It's a very common trend. I, 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 uh, I we could have a whole episode about that. But um, so, so go ahead. Let, let me just wrap up my thought on this. Sure. Uh, so anyway, Steve said that, that people are lazy. Now, here's the thing, and, and I think I've already said this. I'll probably be laboring the point a little bit. A little work now saves a lot of work tomorrow. And right. if people are going to, you know, socialism is going to provide them the thing, provide them the prosperity. It, it's going to require work and productivity to do this. You will do less under productivity and work and gain more than you would under socialism, the, the lack of productivity. Right. You, you will waste more time. You, you will not have leisure time because there will be no leisure activities. There will be nothing there. Right. And you will live better. 
but you're going to have to invest some time and energy and ingenuity. And, and, and one last thing, and then I'm just going to shut up a little bit. If you look at the people that have revolutionized humanity, those that have, that have come up with the creations, uh, not everybody could have envisioned computer systems. Not everybody could have envisioned live streaming and internet and all the, all these other things. But people that could not envision them, people that could never, that can't even understand how they work, have benefited from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So because of the capital investment and the productivity that was involved in creating those things, the smart have benefited the not as smart. I, there's not, there's no dumb people coming up with new medications or medical procedures. It's smart people doing this. Right. So what capitalism has done, that is the true from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Mm. Those that are capable have provided for those that were not capable of providing for themselves. They have benefited. And in that regard, going back to Hayek, capitalism has rendered greed completely harmless. Yep. Absolutely. And made it a beneficial thing, made it a, a, a mutually beneficial thing. So, well, Lou, thank you so much for your time. I know now because Paul, Paul Gordon's going to be on, I think, in two weeks. And so I guess I'll be looking forward to a three-hour and 22-minute episode uh, in two weeks because he insists on breaking your record every time he comes on. Um, <laughs> neither this of you are... be about one hour. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. There you go. We definitely hit an hour. Uh, now, neither of you will break uh, Timon Pearson's uh, uh, record where we hit, I think, just north of four hours. Uh, I hope to God I never reach four hours again. That was a great... It was a great uh, uh, conversation, but um, yeah... I'm probably not going to do that again. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, any final thoughts, any stuff you want to plug before we, before we go? Well, as I mentioned, uh, I, I don't think politics is going to work out. I, I think I've done a pretty good job of pointing out the obstacles. So I would say don't occupy, vacate. Okay. Uh, you can find me at com. I haven't put out too much stuff recently. I think the last time I, I put something out was after my last appearance on your show. I did a blog post called Colonial Lives Matter for the 4th yeah. of July. Yeah, yeah. It's my biggest, it's my biggest uh, moving post to date. It's gotten the most traffic, I think. It even surpassed Dana Martin. But I should have some new stuff coming out in the very near future. I am back at home and things are settled down quite a bit. Cool. So I hope to have something out in the next few days. Uh, I have an older interview with Ben Stone that I'm going to try and whip something up with. And then I'm going to start getting into my original content as well as putting in the stuff, or my, my separate content, as well as going with the stuff from um, Liberty Fest this year and the remaining stuff that I have from last year. From this year, I got an interview with Prof. CJ of the Dangerous History Podcast, and it was in the middle of the night after a couple of cocktails. Uh, this is my... I, I I get drunk. I yeah, I get drunk about once or twice each year, and one or both times is at Liberty Fest. So we will have the Drunken History podcast. I haven't heard it yet. Oh, nice. So I don't think I made too big of an ass of myself. But I'll have the Drunken History podcast, and I also have one with Scott Horton of Ant, of uh, the Scott Horton Show and Antiwar dot com, hmm. the Libertarian Institute. And I got another one with Dana. That I think it's going to be pretty short. 
and a couple other assorted ones, but that's the big stuff. So lousandershow.com, L-O-U-S-A-N-D-E-R show.com. Good stuff, and, and you, I, will, I will put that in the show notes as well. You can still find me at freedomfiends.com. I haven't done much stuff over there, but I hope to start putting out the occasional appearance. Cool, that sounds good. Well, thank you again for your time. Stick around. I'm going to talk to you during the outro. Um, but, guys, thank you again for uh, joining us, uh, me and my guest, Lou Sander, uh, on My Fellow Americans. Um, and uh, we hope to see you again next week. Uh, I don't actually know who my guest is going to be next week, so that will be a surprise for both of us. Um, uh, Matt's <laughs> show, uh, The Writer's Block, uh, he's not doing an episode tomorrow. Uh, so see us. You will see us again, uh, me and Matt, uh, next Tuesday on uh, The Mighty Waters of Freedom. Uh, I have no idea what time, but we will be there, and we'll have our call in so you can call us. And then I will be on Wednesday with my special surprise guest that I don't know even now. Uh, But again, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I will see you soon, and God bless you.